You've got a passion for the outdoors, a desire to feel the warm sun on your face, the sound of your fly line whipping through the air, the pop of the water as the fish inhales the fly you just found in the floorboard of your truck. You need to feel the cool waters on your feet, the crisp north breeze of a November morning, the sound of a turkey gobble, the December rut, the chills of an elk bugle in September. It's the longing passion to chase your obsession. This is what we share. This is what we preach. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. Welcome, Honey Hole Homies, to Honey Hole Hangout. The Honey Hole Homies. Today, we have with us the one and only Jim Aylesworth. Welcome back, Jim. Jim. Howdy, homies. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? We also have Zach, myself, Landon, and Gabe, the regular crew. We are fresh off a weekend from Oktoberfish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's all I got to say about that. I'll tell it you. Was that. Good. It was good. <laughs> it was good. It was Sorry, good. We'll talk a little bit about it. Okay, let's, let's, it was let's a good cause, it. right? Good cause. Uh, yeah. 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 Hel- helped the local club. Yeah. Right. It was good. Yeah. Um, we met some fans. Met some fans. Yeah. Did some fishing. Did some fishing, sold met some, some cool people. Sold some product. It was a, The weekend was a win. Sold some product, but someone bought a product. What'd you buy from Oh, yeah, Chris Landon, Johnson? what'd you buy? What'd you buy? Are we really getting into that right Dude, now? Dude, you're going to eat your freaking words right yeah. now. Yes, <laughs> oh, you yeah, are. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I'm going to put put all the listeners on edge. So, while, let me give a little bit of backstory. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, need a backstory. oh, we got to we gotta no, lead uh, up to it. I need no. alcohol now. We, oh. we recorded a podcast with Jeff Evans. I'm thinking that's his name. Jeff Evans, right, Zach? We that sat down with right. him. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jeff yeah, Evans. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff Evans, right? Yes. I don't want to. Well, this all started with Chris last week or so, two weeks ago. Okay, so two weeks ago, we had Chris Johnson on the podcast. We grilled him a little bit about Tinkara. Yes. Fishing. He gave a very strong argument in case of Tinkara fishing. Very strong. Right. And after... Not, not that there's anything wrong with that. After, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. After Joe Cermelli's... A couple of Seinfeld references today. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> after Joe Cermelli's episode where, you know, using different types of fishing as a toolbox and then talking to Chris Johnson about Tinkara fishing, I've been opening up my mind to Tinkara fishing a little bit. Then in Oktoberfish, Chris was there, and then there was a Tinkara expert, I would say, yes. Jeff Evans, Ooh. who we sat down and podcasted with. I don't know if that episode's already come out or if it's going to it come out. It probably has at this but, point, maybe. Um, we'll see when it comes out. That's true. It may be after this, or you may have already listened to it. I don't really know. But <laughs> So we sat down with him, and he gave a very strong argument for Tinkara, and I've been a little Tinkara curious. Uh-huh. So... <laughs> Ten car curious. That's good. That's good. Ten curious. So, uh, when we were out at Oktoberfish, I picked myself up a rod. Yeah. And then took it fishing. Yes. And then I outfished all of the traditional Western fly fishermen. Yes, you did. Well, it's not like you were Euro nymphing or anything. (laughs) No, I have. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Then we only would have brought home catfish. A lot of them. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just thought it was hilarious the way, you know, you went up to Chris to buy it at the table, and, you know, you you, you, grabbed, the, you grabbed the display one, and he got you a brand new one from, from the bottom the of box. the table, underneath the curtain and everything, pulled it out, and it was all pretty. I mean, it. I was jealous. I was like, man, I, I want to buy one. But, right, but it's, it's, it's I nice. want to buy one. It's but, nice watching somebody else buy something, because I feel... 
I get to enjoy that release okay, but that endorphin, but I, I don't, don't have to know, actually spend money. Gabe, I don't know why you're calling me out. I didn't call you out. I just no, thought no, it was no. a cool thing you were buying. No, 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 no. That's why I brought up the Euro. You, How did I call him out? out? But you haven't mentioned your recent purchase either. Wait, that's what'd you buy recently? For the kids. It's for the kids. <laughs> oh, that's right. So uh, Cameron, and um, maybe we can have him on. Uh, Cameron from the Fiberglass Manifesto was was letting go of some, and um, one happened to be a four-foot Tenkara. I was like, uh, perfect for the kid for like yeah. 50 bucks. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy it for her. That's, you know, I was like, for, she's seven. It's, it, I think it'd be fine, and she can tie some flies, and it's not crazy with the reel and all of that. And I don't have it yet, so... Is it collapsible as well? Yes. Yeah, it uh-huh. is. Okay, because yeah. somebody brought up the idea of a single-piece fly rod. Remember that coming up one time? One yeah, because Landon's got Landon two. has two of them now. That's yeah. right. Okay, so yeah. the four feet. They are anything. not collapsible. Yeah. No. Yeah. But is one of them for sale? No. Oh. 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 No. Maybe in the future. <laughs> yeah. I need to fish with them well, Okay. Yeah, I which thought one you like the least? And, and this, you like, yeah, this was quickly after, uh, you know, Chris's episode uh, if not the, the the next day or two that that posted on Instagram, so I'm like, this is a good deal. Uh, get it for the kid and yeah, and get something to do. Excuse it. whatever. I mean, I might. That's okay. You guys yeah. are just joining me on the dark side now. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, unlimited power. So <laughs> after having fished with it one time, let me give you guys my impressions of it. Uh huh. It was very effective. Yes, and it's I, fun. I outfished everyone on it, and I was fishing Dinkara, and other people were for. Fishing traditional Western style. Uh, you were fishing Tinkar for a little bit, so yes. it was tick for tack, but then you pulled out your other rod. My real rod. Wait, but fish. Per, per time frame or the whole thing? Because I caught a nice uh, bluegill of some sort. You did. No, no. Yeah. He caught, what, you said eight or nine fish? Uh, yeah. I oh. outfished everyone else's combined total. I don't know. I caught two within 10 minutes, and I believe so. I caught two. Okay. On one, on my, both of them on my rare rod, though. Okay. Rare so, rod. impressions. Which is fun. My impressions. It is very simple. And that oh, is kind is. of nice. It is, yeah. It, it is. It, it, which gives it limitations. It is very simple. But there are limitations. And there are, although I was catching fish, there were times when I wished that I had a traditional rod in my hand to make the cast. However, if we were intentionally fishing and you were prepared to wade, like wet wade, you could have easily fixed a lot of your issues that you were having but if i understand it correctly yeah. you can never fish more like 10 feet in front of you the length of your rod plus, plus you're the leader which is so probably like 15 16 feet okay my rod right. is uh 12 feet so 24 feet okay well that's more than i thought all right yeah no so, he put him in a good spot i mean he yeah. had sh- he had shot both of y'all had shots of fish just this fish were spooky yeah though. in that little area well, yeah, and, and i caught a bunch of fish walking up top and waiting down yeah we didn't hardly mm-hmm. caught any fish you caught the only fish in that one area in that yeah. one area the yeah. biggest fish in that one area but yeah yeah you caught the biggest yeah, fish pretty. in that well no because there are some bass that are bigger no this guy was pretty fat you caught the dumbest fish in that area <laughs> <laughs> so they don't get but, big by being dumb. But <laughs> just it, say it. That's true. That's true. It is limited in what you can do. And I would say that the way that it was designed in high gradient mountain streams would be very effective for a Tinkara rod. Yeah. Fishing big pools of water where we fished up a dammed up river, the Guadalupe, where there's no flow. Yeah. Uh not the best area to and use and a Tinkara like rod. And, and in areas where you're where there's there's cypress trees and you're kind of you know, putting yourself in in between them yeah. to drop something in. How is that different than me high sticking with my rod? It's probably not. It's I just nice put my not. fingers on it and just it is never cast. It, okay, so okay. it's it's not conceptually. It's probably not. 
there is something different about not having to worry about your line. Right. And the casting is different. Like there, there are other aspects to it that change it from just grabbing. Cause like even when I switched from my tin car that I was borrow, borrowing to my rear rod, which is a traditional rod for lack of a better word. Um, it is different. Even if I am just high sticking, like I'm still only fishing the same 12 feet in front of me, you know, it's just a different way of getting out there. F- and I'm thinking about a little bit more. So a couple things to add on top of that. Number one, you get more reach with a dig car rod. So okay. significant. I mean, I'm fishing a 12-foot rod. You're fishing a 9-foot rod. Right. Number two, the sensitivity is significantly more. I can feel – I can f- detect a, a strike yeah. much more easily on the Tinkara rod Good point. than I can on the traditional. The line I was fishing was a level Tinkara line, um, and, and they don't – they're not as – they're not as weighted as a fly line, and so you don't get the significant belly that you get in a fly line, that weight pulling your rod tip down and creating a belly. And so you have a much more direct connection to your fly. And I would also say with a little bit of practice, um, it would be much easier to be extremely accurate with a Tinkara rod with the limiting factor that I would not fish streamers on a Tinkara rod because you don't have the ability to give it action yeah, like you do on a traditional rod. For me, it would be like single single nymph nymphing right? or fishing like a dry fly, like a single dry fly. Well, Ben and Ben, With the, huge flow. Fly, and ben the huge fly fisherman is going to make fun of you. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Would you, do, uh, like, would you do like a crayfish pattern if you were fishing for bass? If I was going to fish a crayfish, I'd probably pull out a traditional rod. Yeah. Yeah. Drag it across the bottom by stripping it. Yeah. You strip set with a crayfish, don't you? Yes. You don't lift the rod. You strip set, don't you? Yeah. No? Wait. Well, I mean, again, as the Euro-nymphing person here, I feel like I'm in between the Tinkara and a regular rod. Right. Right. And so you you can have crayfish patterns, but the main thing being I need... I would like, I mean, you don't necessarily need moving water. I would like moving water um, where if we were in areas where there wasn't a lot of moving water, then I can see where the Tinkara is. Great. Gotcha. I think, like you said, they're all tools. I would prefer moving water. Yeah. And, and, like the and, um, and that's where I feel like I get, I get some of the benefits of the Tinkara and I get some of the benefits of, the, of a standard reel. I would right. say it's very good at a small amount of things better than traditional and if you're doing those things it would be better to fish with that rod its origin is japan japan and i would not mind having one in the arsenal when taking someone who's never done it before for beginners it would be easier to teach them on or like at real recovery we've talked about it a lot with like mobility issues and the hardest thing phenomenal and the hardest and the hardest thing for people to learn is line management and if you can that trigger finger on top of the line and if you can teach them to cast and get like the because you're still you're casting a weighted line it's like fly fishing in that sense yeah you're casting a weighted line the cast it, is almost the exact it's, it's same. Almost a, it's a little shorter. It's mm-hmm. shorter because you have a longer lever. So you do not have to have as long of a motion because you're fishing with a longer lever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, with beginners, if you take away the, if you let them learn how to cast and take the line management away, I could, it'd be very easy for beginners to learn. Yeah. It made me excited to go home and pull mine out. Like, I was excited about it. Mm-hmm. 
We're gonna go. That's for also it. setting up and taking down is extremely quick. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It was pretty neat. Yeah, watching yeah, you, because you rig it, you rig it on this little spool, and you take your rod down, you wrap your line around the spool, and then the spool goes over. It's got a little hole in it, and you put it over the rod, and it's rigged up, flies on it, everything. You don't have to tie a fly on, so you just pull the spool off, unrig it, telescope it, and you're fishing. Like min- I would say a minute tops. I'd be curious to see which one we could rig up faster, the rare rod or a Tankara rod. We have a little race. We could. We could be on the water faster. Yeah. Do you know what a rare rod is? No. It is a telescoping fly rod that has a reel, and the fly line goes there's like a little opening, maybe four inches away from the reel, and the fly line goes into the rod, right. through the rod, and out the tip. And there's oh. no guides on it. What? And that reminds me, I thought you were going to buy some $20 outfit on Amazon or something like that one day. Oh, it's still going to happen. Probably. No, no, I, I bought the second cheapest Which one did you buy? Outfit. The Martin? I did not buy the Martin. The Martin's the cheapest. I think it's like thirty bucks. It is the yeah. it's the cheapest thirty dollars. I bought the second cheapest outfit that was like a whole kit, everything. The person I went with, but where I was headed, ten car is not that cheap. No, no. no. I mean, okay, I just figured they're but simple. You can but get a decent rod, hundred and fifty to two hundred fifty bucks. Like that's like the okay. range All right. for didn't a know. good yeah. rod. Didn't know. And that's probably including the line. We everything. also, uh, Chris didn't have these, but when we took spoke with Jeff Evans. He had a Takara rod that weighed half an ounce. Oh, wow. Honestly, less than a pin. It's probably like picking up your pin and fishing with right. that. And these are made in Japan. Um, not China. And they're like very like not premium. Bamboo, then. They're not, not bamboo, bamboo. They're yeah. graphite. They're telescoping okay, graphite gotcha, rods. Gotcha. And but it was pretty. It's insane. It was, um, yeah. It was, I, just picking it up, I was like, this is. Well, crazy. that explains the sensitivity then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, even you, you the ones. It. Every time you touch the bottom, you're going to feel it. Yeah. 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 Even the ones with, that we're using, though, are like two and a half ounces right. around there. So it's still not crazy. But yeah, the one that uh, that he showed us, it was it was pretty insane. Like, it was just like picking up a pen and just casting with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we met Nick Loveland, who won our fly box. He won our fly box. And man, I'm so glad he did. Because had he not, man, we would have not hit it off as well. Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. rare you meet people who just like immediately you kind of like, kind of like you, Jim. Like you just, you've been here twice now and each time, man, I feel like we just pick up and it's just right where we were. Well, it goes it goes past that actually. It goes to our episode with uh, with Alvarado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, in, in that episode, um, he talks about, um, you know, meeting two people and hanging out with them and then right. eventually becoming... becoming um, he took them on their first, first date where they met two of his friends and then they ended uh, up getting married and he officiated the wedding. So wow. we met him, uh, the guy he married at uh, the convention this past weekend. He won our fly box yeah. that we put together. Yeah. And so Landon and I, and Gabe, we all fished with him Saturday evening and then Gabe left and then Landon and I ended up just like hanging out with him the whole evening. We went... Grab beers and dinner and yeah. Henry Winkler, Henry Winkler, the the Fonz, mm-hmm. uh-huh. wrote a whole book on that very hey. concept. Yeah, and that was that you never meet a jerk on the water. Yeah, and we all know there are some, mm-hmm. but in general rules, fly fishers are pretty good folk. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Yeah, man, Henry Winkler is making me happy. He he has a Twitter account and. All he posts on it is him catching fish, right. him, catch, him catching trout on fly rods, and it's great. It makes me so happy. <laughs> we should get him as a podcast podcast guest. If, I mean, sure. if anybody we know could would. pull a I string, could Jim could. <laughs> I, yeah, I know people who know people. Okay. 
Yeah. I was like, yeah. Let me look. I'll, I'll get on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's pretty great. Yeah. No, you're the guy that I know that would be like, if I need a favor, does. if I need a favor, I'm going to yeah. call Jim. <laughs> yeah. Sure. If anybody knows the Fonz. Yeah. And I know I can yeah. pay Jim in nice, hey. Hey. nice bottles of bourbon or scotch yeah. to make it happen. Well, I owe you, dude. <laughs> so, uh, also, so, uh, yeah, we had a good time. Gabe tied flies at yeah. October Fish. Uh, we hung out with friends. It was pretty slow, but... Ate a lot of tacos. Ate yeah. a lot of Mary's tacos. We stayed in my, my pop-up? We did stay in the pop-up. Yeah. yeah. We didn't spend as much time at the campsite no, as we, we would have thought. We met, we met Nick, Nick and, and then so we, we stayed until like him. midnight. <laughs> we did, we yeah. stayed at a bar until midnight, but originally we were going to go back to the pop-up, have a nice little campfire, drink some beers, maybe... Well, I thought you said Mary's was San Antonio. So Bernie, Fredericksburg... Helotus and Coverell. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that was our main thing. It's like, hey, Saturday, why don't we meet at Mary's and pick up some tacos? And I was oh, camping in Kerrville. And, and only to find out that they actually had Mary's tacos there yeah, as well. I was, like, gotcha. I was like, hey, I'm camping in Kerrville. Are you guys going to meet at the Bernie one or can we all meet at the Kerrville one? Right. Yeah. Very cool. So, yes, we met no. at the Kerrville one. No, but shout out to, uh, to Tim and Don, uh, gracious hosts over there. Uh, I got to see a buddy of mine, Rick Wilson, uh, who uh, is in, involved with them. It's a Awesome tire as well. So, um, and then I was sitting next to Dutch, who is a big member uh, on the uh, Fly Fishing International group. Um, I'm probably butchering that, and I, it, I'm sure I forgot Dutch. The group last formerly time. known as FFF. I guess, yes, yeah. FFF. Federation Dutch Fly Fishing. Awesome. FFF. Um, uh, International Federation of yeah, Fly Fishing. Now it's FFI, Fly Fishing International. Yes, that's right. Dutch yeah. was awesome. We'll be next year. Who knows? Yeah. CCBBI. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dutch was awesome and tied these amazing, um, just awesome steelhead patterns uh, out there. Uh, so it was cool talking to him. Uh, Dutch uh, Bachman, Bachman, I think. Um, but um, yeah, awesome. I, it was a, it was a good afternoon. It was a good afternoon. It was it was it was a good day. Yeah, which I could have stayed. It sounded like it was fun too. But yeah, I had yeah, uh, Sunday was fun. Well, no Sunday. Pretty much left kind of early. We let Zach rolled out early. I stayed and I went to like a casters. Uh, casting instructing certification clinic. little clinic thing where they walked through the test and then I talked with a couple people that were CIs and asked them questions, got some more information, bought a fly line okay. that is very good for the CI tests. Oh, um, okay. I'll show it to you guys after it's in my fly. Okay. Oh, no, actually, I don't have it here. It's in my truck. My truck's getting worked on. Wow. Mm. Yeah. But uh, it's, a, it's a fly line specifically designed for the CI test because there are specific tasks that you have to complete. And so a lot of fishing lines, um, they have uh, their lines developed for fishing, but this line is developed for casting, and it's got a longer belly. So some of the distance casting and keeping tighter loops and some of the requirements – this fly line makes it a little bit easier to achieve those things. Not to nice. say that you couldn't do it on a traditional fly line, but um, stack the odds in your favor, so they say. But yeah. Speaking of your truck, your intro talks about a fly found on the bottom of your truck. Mm-hmm. Don't you guys have a sponsor other than Honey Hole now? Somebody? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I should do that. Is there a sponsor? Help me out again. Who is that? Let's oh. pay some bills. You guys yeah. are here? Don't you have a sound clip? It's back? named yeah. after a bird. Oh, let's see it. From the vice to the boat to the bank to those moments you connect to a fish, Loon Outdoors is with you every step of the way with tools designed at the bench and on the water to help make your best day on the water better. 
So I know you always ask somebody what their favorite loon tool is, but I want to say about the one I'm most envious of. Okay. And that is the little, the little pawn man, the magnetic pawn. Yeah. Who holds your fly tying materials back? I have one of those. Do you really? Yeah, dude. I saw one. The first time I saw it, I was like, I got no clue what that's for. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, what? And I opened it up and I was like, that's amazing. It just holds it. It just holds something magnetically, but it's it's cute. It gets the job done. It's so simple. Yeah, it is. I'll show it to you when we're done. I have it on my vice. Yeah, I've been I've been getting that itch. Even being at the convention last weekend, we've been talking so much about fly tying. I've um I got my vice out and been tying a lot. Yeah, you tied some Halloween themed flies too, dude. And oh, great! They were the freaking talk of the town. Everybody <laughs> like they had professional fly tires across, but everybody wanted the Halloween Zach special. That's you know? funny. Nice. So it was great. I got a picture of it, Jim, and show you because it was great. It better be orange and black. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's orange and purple. It's orange and purple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, know. speaking of I like the eyes. Yeah, those, like, those bright red right, ones. Yeah, right. they're nice. So, Loon sent us a box of goodies. Yeah, they did. What are we going to do for those? So, we're going to do a little river cleanup giveaway. I like it. So, how does that work? Okay. So, by the time this podcast comes out, it will be set up, and we will have a lot of information about it. On our Instagram page. Instagram page, in website. The, in the show in, link. In the show note description link, on our Facebook, whatever. There will be a lot of information about this. Yes. But what we're going to do is we are going to start a online-ran river cleanup, meaning instead of me, Zach, and Gabe planning a river cleanup on the San Antonio River and inviting everyone down here to clean up the river, which would be great. Yes. Nothing against that. No. But a lot of you live in uh, Dallas, Houston, Lubbock, wherever else in Texas, San Antonio. Uh, we have 10 listeners in Seattle. Nice. Shout oh, out. Whoa. The yeah. rainy city. So, is that what uh, they say? Is that its thing? We're consistent. Sure. Or is it the Kraken? I don't we're know consistently about. getting 10 listens from Seattle on every episode. I'm like... That's awesome. I have been there. Very. So I've been there too. So Seattle listener shout out. Um, but there's a lot of people that listen to our show from all over the country. And we want to give them an opportunity to participate in a river cleanup. So it is very simple. All that you have to do is next time you go fishing, take a bag. A grocery bag, a trash bag, a river cleanup mesh bag, whatever you want. Fill it up with trash. Take a picture of yourself holding this bag of trash. Go on our Instagram page, website, wherever else, uh, Linktree, uh, show note description. There will be a form that you fill out. It'll ask for your name, your email address, a picture of the trash you picked up, some other small information. Fill that out. That will get you entered into a monthly drawing. For a Loon product. For a Loon package. Nice. Very nice. Great so, idea. And our goal is that this is going to restart every month with a different sponsor, and there's going to be different gears giveaways every month. So you could participate once a month and have 12 opportunities to win free gear, and all you have to do is fill a bag up with trash and fill out a form online. We should have a, like a hashtag, like hashtag honeyhole hates trash. <gasps> That's it. I've been stewing on a name for weeks, and nothing has been... Like, nothing has clicked. Yeah. I haven't named it. Me and McKenna have been like, yeah. what should we call it? What should we call it? Honey Hole Hates Trash. Yeah. That's a good one. Ooh. 
I mean, are we going to put this to a vote and just vote? Hey, simple, easy, it works. We know what's going on. Gab sells it. Done. Honeyhole Stamp hates trash. approved. Okay. Hashtag Honeyhole hates trash. Okay. Jim, is the, as a listener of our podcast, is that something that you would participate in? Oh, absolutely. The same way Alvin Dado does it, right, on the Colorado. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Alvin's deal is great. Loco trash And bag. his is like an organized river cleanup where it you is. go to the Loco, and then he throws a party after. So it's different. Um, we don't have the time to actually put one of those style events on. This will be much easier for us to manage. But the concept is just that, and that's why yeah. I was in a fly fishing club out of uh, Utah one time, and that's what we used to do. And it was the upper 18 miles of this river. And it was remarkable what the 19th mile looked like versus the first 18 <laughs> because we'd clean it up every year. Yeah. And it is surprising how just that, a few people taking the time to pick up trash, it can really make a difference. Yeah. And if we all did it, I've still said it. My dad always taught me the same thing. Every time we went camping, we'd pick up our own trash and always go out and find one piece of somebody else's trash and pick it up. Because you can always it, find it. Leave it better than what you found it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What the boys call my, or one of the boys call so, mottos. This should be very simple for you guys to do. All you got to do is pick up a little trash. No yeah. big deal. I like Take that. a picture. Take a picture. Go to the form. We're going to ask that you weigh it. We want to keep a running total of how much weight Good of idea. trash. Yeah, you will not we... win necessarily based on your weight. No. Nope. You'll just be randomly drawn. Well, so you can but... have an aggregate number. Yeah. yeah. We just want to yeah. see like, hey, like Honeyhole Hates Trash has, you know, Picked got up so much trash. 30 tons of trash in the last year. Two months. I'm just kidding. That's a lofty Let's goal. say one or two times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's what we're going to do. And uh, I like it. Yeah, by the time this comes out, that'll be rolling. Cool. So, But Loon sent us some gear for that, so thank you, Loon. And we're also going to be doing an unboxing and review of the gear that they sent us. So if you want to know what that is, it will be on our YouTube channel. Nice. One other shout-out before we move on to talking with Jim about all the great things he brought us is that we recorded a different podcast before we started this one. Yeah. Our What's it called? Field and Streaming. Yes. It has the greatest logo ever. It does have a great logo. It has a great podcast image. Zach came up with that. Uh, we don't record as often on that podcast, obviously, <laughs> we as we do like on it. this one. <laughs> we but like we just recorded an episode of talking about the latest uh, House of the Dragon. Yeah. Maybe we should start season. watching all of the Christmas movies and just have that be like the next. And it would be one. nice if at least one-tenth of your listeners in Seattle actually downloaded it. Oh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Somebody from Seattle downloaded Field and Streaming. Yeah. Yep. Come on. Just one. Exactly. All we do is talk about movies and TV shows. I mean, it's, it's a great time. It's raining up there anyway. Just watch movies. Yeah, you got nothing to do outside. Podcasts. You're not going outside. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't get a fish in the face. Listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, I'm going to just rush right in to talking to you. Shoot. I heard a rumor that you like to fish naked. I do. I do. And, <laughs> and where that comes from is the first time, and it's the weirdest part of all, is, is I got caught by the same person both times, my boss at work. All right, so the first time, he's very wealthy, he's my boss, and he has this real nice place on the Gunnison, just outside of Crested Butte. Mm-hmm. Is this like a nudist area? No, okay. no, just, it's just private water, but people can float through it, but it's private water, and so I'm fishing it. He goes, I'm going to go back for lunch, and I go, nah, I can get a burger anytime, I'm going to keep fishing. He goes, I knew you'd say that. Well, about an hour goes by, and I thought, you know, I am kind of hungry, and you've all done this. I'm carefully waiting, but now, hey, I'm still getting burgers. So I just start hopping out of the water, slip, boom, down. I am completely underwater, waders filled up with water, I'm soaked. And as you know, trout water, 50, 55 degrees. 
So I get up and I remember thinking, well, he has these private lakes, kind of little ponds where they have rainbow trout in one and brook trout in another. And brown. So I went to one of those and I thought, well, I'll just take off all my clothes, hang them up and put my shirt over there, my pants over here, my underwear up on that trunk and just let them all dry out because it's the Colorado sun. It's going to dry out pretty quick. And then I thought to myself, well, as long as I'm here, I might as well start fishing. <laughs> so I start fishing, and I start getting into it, and I'm catching some fish, and I suddenly hear this, <clears throat> and I look over, and looking over the grass, looking at me as my boss, and I go, hey, Bruce. He goes, uh, what are you doing, Jim? And I go, Fish, fishing naked. He goes, I see that. He goes, you know, we're showing the place, because they were selling property on the place. And I go, well, they're not going to buy. <laughs> <laughs> So he obviously could tell what had happened by what had occurred. And yeah. So it became a big joke. And fast forward, now five years later, I go with him on an exploratory trip to French Polynesia. So we go to Tahiti and then go out to this private island. There's eight of us, but so it's two in a boat, two, two, two. And my guy got sick, so he couldn't go, so I'm by myself. Well, the other six walk around the end of the island, and I see him walking around. I thought, well, why do I keep walking out looking for the bonefish? I'll just stay in this one spot. And I knew it was a perfect spot for bonefish to work, so I'm just going to keep working my fly right there, waiting for the bonefish. So I'd put it out, cast, and just wait. And as soon as one goes by, I'd strip it in a little, catch another bonefish. Well, one of them catches it, goes out there, and if you've ever fished, and I know you have all been to saltwater, a bonefish will start going around the coral island and start picking out these little coral spots. And does like a figure eight going around a couple of coral, snaps the line. When I've lost my line, I look out. There's the mothership out there. I can't get back. I don't have a boat. So if I don't get my line, I'm not fishing anymore. So I took off all my clothes. <laughs> I jump in the water. I swim out there. I get at my fly line. And by the way, about 14 feet deep, I look down. There's a shark underneath me. And for whatever reason, when you're naked, it just feels like you're a lot more vulnerable to the shark. <laughs> but, so I get back up, and I remember thinking, I got the line, I tie on my new fly, and I thought, well, you know, when's the last time I got a uh, suntan in Tahiti? So, pff, might as well, no tan lines, right? <laughs> so, I st start fishing again, catch another one, catch another one, kind of lose track of time, and I look out, and there he is, my boss, walking around the other end of the island, shaking his head, looking at me. <laughs> and I just then saw his son reaching in his pocket for his cell phone. I knew out comes the photo. So, he's got a picture of me, but I got my pants back on just in time. <laughs> But those are the two, and so then my daughter, to commemorate that, has a poster in my man cave that says, fish naked, show them your rod. <laughs> <laughs> and I promise, guys, it's the only times I've ever gone naked. It's just so weird that the same guy caught me both times, was it and a of all people, my boss. Yeah, right, your boss. Was it a little bit liberating, though? I mean, is it kind of nice fishing naked? It's like anything. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. I yeah. guess the uh, whole point is, is that, as you guys can all tell, I'm a boomer, and so I'm a little older than you, and you've all been in the gym, just like I have. And have you ever noticed that? That old guy comes walking up to you with no clothes on and just starts talking to you. You're going, yeah, dude. And you kind of cast your eyes he's, away from him. Well, he's a little too proud. That's yeah, the problem. He's like, a little I, too proud. I talk well, to people in the gym, but, you know, they're getting dressed and they're like, but the old dude walks in like, throws I know, his exactly. towel off. And then yeah. he's like. It's like ringing a cowbell. Like, yeah, yeah he's buddy, like, he's I'm like, here. He's like moving his hips. <laughs> Well, the point is, and it's, like, it's, just drag, it's like dragging on the floor. You, and just lose, <laughs> you lose all your vanity as you get old. That's why my hair, you know, yeah, I don't like going bald. But oh, what the hell? I'm going bald. I'm not going to hide the fact. I'm not going to wear a hat and try to hide. I'm just going bald. And that just is what it is. Because I'm old. I'm a boomer. I don't care. And that's kind of the way I was with going naked. I go, oh, well, 
as long as no one catches me. And then the weird thing is to be caught by the same person twice. Yeah. Of all people, my boss. <laughs> so, of course, he goes back to the office going, you're not going to believe what Ellsworth did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, so, man. we missed out on a conversation last time due to time. We did. We didn't get to touch. And that was uh, lobbying efforts with Donald Trump Jr. That you were like, were you sitting across from him? I'm uh, sitting across the table as from we're, him. As I'm sitting across from him. As we are right, right here. Now, as, if you've ever done that kind of lobbying effort, there are eight or nine of us in the room at the time. There's some lawyers, some Trout Unlimited people. I mean, it's kind of a mixture of group. And So I, give us the breakdown. Like, Well, first off, I'm in the history. Um, it all yep. began in the 80s. I was in Billings, Montana, and I was at the fly shop, and they said, you need to join us in a lawsuit. What lawsuit? Give us access to the Bighorn River. And so I became a plaintiff to sue the Crow Nation to give us access to the Bighorn River. That was my beginning. And then from there, jumped into other conservation projects. Your favorite, the Smith. Uh, Save the Smith. Stop the Pebble Mine. Um, Get the uh, wild and scenic designation for my favorite water called the East Rosebud in Montana. Uh, Getting water to the Everglades. All these things became part of my deal. But probably the biggest one and probably the most well-known is And you were a lobbyist. Line. I was a lobbyist, meaning okay. I have a full-time job, and I did that for my work as well for the property and casualty industry. I would go to Austin, and when I was in Hawaii, to Honolulu, and when I was in Montana, to Helena. And that is, I would go up there and lobby, and so I'm used to the process. And you'd ask me in a previous podcast, you know, what is your success in lobbying? As I told you, I'm sorry to say, sometimes it's because you gave money. So now I get access, and when I have access, then I get face-to-face, And then I tell them, here's my pitch. And you'd be surprised how effective it is. You can write letters. You can call your congressman or senator. But the reality is, when you get face-to-face, it just turns into a different scenario. Well, one of them was stop the pebble mine. And so it was a meeting, and Donald Trump, the president, was speaking in Houston. But I knew his son would be there, Donald Trump Jr. So we set up a meeting with him. And How did you set up this meeting? Actually, it was done by some other people, and we were all large contributors to the Republican campaign at the time. And so we all had access to come into these things. Kind of pay-to-play sort of thing. Exactly. But there were lobbyists there as well as Trout Unlimited was there. And what was interesting is, is he sizes up the crowd because you don't go without notice. They know who you are. They know what your background is. And so he looks around, and he kind of gives his kind of whatever kind of look at most of the people there and looks right at me and says, why are you here? And points to me. And I said, I'm here to represent the membership of Trout Unlimited. Yeah? What are you going to say? And that's when I pitched. I go, and I gave him like, like an elevator speech, like 30 to 45 seconds on why the pebble mine is a stupid idea. And I said, and I go, Mr. Trump, look, I'm like you. I believe in drill, baby, drill. We should drill. I'm all in favor of it. Just some places we shouldn't be doing it. And the same thing's true of mining. This just makes no sense at all. Why would you build a half-mile-long earthen dam in the most earthquake-prone place in the entire North America? And I said, and I don't disagree that the company buying them and doing this will probably be a very fine company. It's when they go out of business and sell it to somebody else, and then they file bankruptcy, and that's when bad stuff happens. And the only other point was not forgetting who my audience was. When I do public speaking, know who your audience is, knowing the Trumps and how they think, I go, and Mr. Trump, they're not even Americans, you know, knowing because it was a foreign company. Yeah, yeah. And they looked at me, and because I do a lot of business in London, I was wearing a shirt with cufflinks, French cuffs. 
So you like cufflinks? And I go, yeah. He says something to his assistant. Couldn't have been two minutes later, they came back with cufflinks representing the president of the United States. Really? And that was when the lobbyist for Trout Unlimited said, yeah, you got something there. That meant something. And sure enough, two weeks later, out comes the announcement. Donald Trump with one of those stupid tweets that he always did, right? <laughs> don't worry about the pebble mine. I got it. And I go, I don't know what that meant. And he goes, that was a shout out saying, we're going to get what we want. And as you all know, we did. And it was unusual. As my son, who I've shared with you before, the Marxist slash atheist, he was furious that I'd even talked to the devil. And my point of view is, but I won the battle. He goes, yeah, but you lost the war. You know, we don't have clean water. I go, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice the perfect for the sake of the good. And that is sometimes you do have to just accept some small little thing like stopping the pebble mine, even though in general terms, I'm not dealing with somebody who's very good about the environment. But at least I got something small right. out of it. And that was the point, And that was my story. Yeah, about you got to take the win. You know, I mean, like if you hadn't have done that. You know, I mean, who knows what could happen? You the know, only thing you don't know is that, I don't know if any of you know it, he's a huge outdoorsman, in particular hunting. Yeah. Donald Trump Jr. loves to hunt. And so that's why it was him, not his dad, not somebody else on his staff. And that was partly the well, appeal. He's, he's an avid fly fisherman as well, Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's why there's a few people like that. If you don't know, uh, Tucker Carlson, same way. Yeah, that's Rachel why he Maddow, got I mean, like it. a yeah. lot of them really like to fly fish. And that's, <laughs> at a certain point, you got to look at who's who holds the cards, you exactly. know, and you got to work with them. And that's part of it. And that's, I feel like, you know. Which is why he looked at me because he knew some of these people would never have voted for him or not somebody he right. would have liked. And that's why in particular, that party in particular, they understood very well, you know, who are some of these people. And that's why he looked at me and pointed at me and said, who are you? Yeah. Only knowing that I wasn't fitting the stereotype. That the rest of the people, the people who wanted were, to, who needed right. to talk to him. Because he goes, yeah, 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 whatever. Kind of like I said, the whatever. It was kind of, yeah, whatever. Well, but then when it came to me, I knew I had his attention. And that's why I had a speech practiced in my mind and pitched that to him very quickly and then knew what would be the hot points to him. And that's why I pitched the two things. And that is, you know, look, I agree. We should mine. I agree. We should drill. Just not in certain places. And the other point was, and they're not even an American company. You know, and I knew that would be a hot button. Yeah, you knew what would, what would, what would hit. And, and it is. And, and for what it's worth, for all of you listening right now, it's not over. Like anything in the environment, it never is really over. You have to be diligent. You have to stand by it. And the pebble mine could still come back, but it's not very likely right now. And that's why I take the small wins, and that was a small win, but a win just the same. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. And <clears throat> really important, too, like the compromise in there, which is something that's missing in a lot of today's society. It's like do or die kind of mentality right now. But whether you, and I don't know if you agree it or not, but whether you agree with it or not, hey, I'm good with drilling. Just don't drill here. Like, I think someone coming at him, if someone else had that meeting and said, I don't think we should be drilling, period. I do not think it would have made an effect. No, it yeah, wouldn't the, have landed because you're, you're all or nothing. It's yeah. different. To stop the oil people that are blocking roadways and throwing tomato soup at paintings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. That, you're not winning anybody over. And that's yeah. why the same way, and you saw my article I did about Steelhead, and that's why I said is, whatever happened to compromise? Meet us halfway. You're right, I'm not going to get everything I want, but let's just at least meet somewhere in the middle. Because in the old days, that was what would happen. Yeah. That was the whole point of us having all the checks and balances we have right. in our government you system. You were never going to get everything, but that's nobody gets everything. No. That's part of it. And I've learned that all too well, and to accept it for what it is, and, and be open-minded about it. Don't always just assume I have a monopoly on the truth because I don't. 
and I want to hear opposing points of view, which is why I constantly talk to my son about faith and politics is I want to hear an alternate point of view to make sure, is there something I'm missing here? And he was the one that kind of pushed me into the green area. Because one time that's what happened. I was at a park with him one time and I said, he goes, what happens if we've discovered oil in this park right now? I go, move the park. What a stupid thing to say. And so that's why after I said that flippant remark, I thought about it and thought, you know, Tim's right. There are just certain places where we shouldn't drill. And that's how the whole thing got started and really fell in love with the concept of Trout Unlimited. But I readily admit, I mean, some of the people I work with and the, and the people who run Trout Unlimited know that we're very different on political points of view. And I've had discussions with them on conference calls more than one time saying, you have to remember who your audience is. Some of us like to catch fish. And you guys laugh, but that's really their point of view is it's not about catching fish. And I go, you know, you're right. I can have a good time. But when I catch fish, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and so that's why, because their point of view, the, the, what the other thing they do, they hate the hero shot, holding the fish out of the water. Yeah. And I get that, and so that's why I wanted to ask you about it, in particular, Landon. That is, how do you do some of the videos? And in particular, I've got a GoPro. I need to start figuring out how to take photos of my fish underwater and release it underwater so that I can keep it wet, which is my point about your tarpon and your permit. And that is, yeah, how do we do it? where we don't have to take them out of the water. But even then, if you've ever seen the hero shot, and Henry Winkler's been criticized for it more than once for making those shots. Mm-hmm. What I look for, and you've all seen them, water dripping yeah. fish. You can tell they just lifted it out of the water. Yep. And that, to me, is fine. I think so, too. Yeah, that if you, can, do it, if you can take the shot within 15 seconds, no harm, no foul. It's when you hold it up there and drop it in the boat and whatever yeah. else. <laughs> I mean, like... At the end of the day, we are putting a hook in the fish's mouth. Like, we are causing them... It's a blood sport. Exactly. Which is what Henry... It, yeah, Hemingway said, that, right? That yeah. is part of it. You know, if... I I 100% agree with... Take the best care you can of a fish while you have it... You know, while you have control over it. But at the same time, not everything we do is going to be 100% perfect. If you're going to pull it up with the water dripping off of it, you've already put that fish through a lot. Anyways, take the photo, let it go. Now, I don't think, you know, we should hold it up for minutes upon minutes and let everybody Change your shirt so you can post for a different day. Exactly, right. But almost every guide will tell me to get on my knees to do it. And that's why you see that shot where you're right next to the water. And that's why that one you saw on my steelhead, that's exactly what happened. I lifted up and I said, you're going to get one shot, I said to the photographer. And I lifted it up. And he took the one shot, and he got the second one of me releasing it. Right. And that was the only reason why was he was click, click, click as quick as he could. But my point of view is I don't want to take this thing out of the water too long. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, but, it made 275 miles to this so point. My, yeah. right, but it is a little bit hypocritical to say, like, oh, we, you know, like, we got to do everything when, when, you know, when it's like, well, you already you already are fishing, right, for re- catch and release. It's not like you're eating Well, several everything. friends of Trout Unlimited hate the question, how many fish did you catch? Right. And I've always said, that's a pretty common question to right. ask. We were talking about it on this own podcast. That's how we often define it. You said the same thing. It does come up, and that's not an unusual question to ask, and it's a very reasonable question to ask. So, yeah, again, that's why I point out, know your audience, understand what you're doing, and just recognize, back to my point, there is a compromise in the middle. Right. Well, we don't have to kill the fish, but at the same time, no, we need to have Most fun. of these things are more nuanced. Uh, talking about the hero shot, it's not as easy of a should you pick the fish up out of the water or not, you should consider the fish that you're catching. 
It's yeah, not just a blanket rule. I treat a bass differently than I treated my steelhead. My steelhead didn't even get picked out of the water. We, right. pu- we put it in a net. I got on my knees. I lifted its tail up but kept its gills underwater. Well done. Yeah. Took a photo and released and it. it go. And I don't know the, if it's true, but I've permit, heard redfish, redfish are the permit, sturdy as hell. We yeah. kept <laughs> in the water. I feel like they are. I yeah. picked it up. I took a picture. I let it go. Um, I think there's fish that are a lot more sensitive um, to those things, and there's a lot of research about that. I think as a general rule of thumb, you know, they say, you know, what I've heard, uh, you know, five, ten seconds. Max. Max. Right. Take a picture. You need one. Take a picture. The old phrase that, that keep, keep it wet, in the net while keep you're. Keep wet talks about is hold your breath. I mean, yep. If you can hold your breath, so can they. Yeah. Because that's yep. what you're going to do when you lift them out of the water. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, I think there's so much that leads up to that picture point. You know, have a net with you. Like, if I'm going out catching for fishing with panfish and I'm not carrying it, you know, bass, I don't carry a net. Normally, I try to unhook the hook as quickly as I can. And then I, most of the time, like when we went fishing at Oktoberfish, no pictures. I unhook the fish. Yeah. Throw it back in the water. No big deal. Right. Um, so just, you know, but if you're, you know, bonefish, redfish, whatever, or uh, steelhead, fish with a net, trout, keep that fish in the net, remove the hook, get everything ready to go, get your camera ready while that fish is in the net and in the water, pick it up, take a picture, let it go. And a lot of people are getting good, like Chris Johnson takes really good photos of fish that aren't hero shots where they're kind of like laying on their side in shallow water that look really good, so they're still kind of in the water. Um, A lot of people are getting good at those types of photos, I don't think not everybody has that ability without, like, a little bit of training. But people go fishing, and they want to take a picture, and they want to go back and look at those pictures. They want to show their friends, whatever. I don't yeah. I don't see a problem with the hero shot but in I'd general. Be curi- I, well, I'd be curious even with that, though. I mean, like, if the fish isn't actively pushing water through its gills, is it actually breathing? I don't think so. I don't think it is either. That's why I said hold your breath. Got yeah, but, it, but if a bass is sitting in pond water. Right, but it's if you watch them, their mouth is... Because they're literally moving the water through their gills. Yeah, but if they're it, laying on their side and their mouth is doing that. Yeah, if their mouth is I've just never seen one with I mean, Grant. Yeah. It's a still pictures. photo, though. Yeah. Um, I'd just be curious. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious as to see, like, if that is, you know, the next best thing or if it's just like, oh, we feel better because it's wet. But, like, realistically, is it actually pushing? Like, what is the purpose of keeping them wet? Is it to keep their scales wet? Or is it to actively push water and oxygen through their gills? Because if that's the case, then the only thing which you, you should probably do is keep them in a net while they're actively like floating there, moving water themselves. You know yeah, I mean? but even that to that point, you're right. And if you look at my hero shots, you'll often see I might be gripping the tail, mm-hmm. but I always hold my other palm all the way flat. Right. So as to not grip them around that. Because I have caught fish where you can see fingerprints where somebody had grabbed it before yeah. me. So, uh, yeah, you, you have to be careful about that as well because that is slime. That is protection to them. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I'd be curious to see, like... Well, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask all of you, and that is I fished with a guide out of Alaska that just got furious if he used a net, no matter what kind of net. Really? But his point of view was it hurts the fish. Even a rubber net. Right. And that's why I thought... And he even yelled at somebody on the Quechak. You know, they caught some huge 28, 30-inch trout. He was yelling at him for getting out of the net, and I'm course people use a net and at what point do you use a net 
And do you have you ever heard of someone saying don't use a net because it hurts? The I've fish? heard the argument don't use the nylon netting material. Yeah, I knew that, right. and, or the rope kind, or the and, rope yeah. kind, or right. whatever that you need to use a rubberized material. Right. I feel like there's been enough but studies I think, that show that rubber think, nets are fine for their sludge. See, I thought so too. I think the science yeah. shows that rubber rubber nets keep. I would say having a rubber net that scientifically has shown that is better for the fish than nylon or rope nets. I mean, I don't think that's indisputable. I think rubber nets are better. And I would just, I don't, I don't know if the science is to back it, but I would argue that keeping a fish in the water is 100% better than lifting them out of the water. Yeah, right. And so with a net, you can keep them in the water. Not only that, typically with a net, you're fighting the fish less. Mm-hmm. It's easier to land the it's fish. It's easier to land the fish. Yeah, so you're the putting less, less time- stress on that fish. Yeah, I forgot, not endorphins, I can't think of the term, but there is something, the chemical is being released in them. Lactic acid. Yeah. Right, and that's why you have to worry about that. The longer you fight them. Right, yeah. it's the, literally killing them the right. longer they fight. Right, yeah. yeah. And especially when rising water temps. And I had a friend that used to, do that. I, we'd call it milk the fish. Yeah. He'd fight him for two, three minutes. I'm going, you don't have to do that, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's what he would do, and that's why I always said, no, that's just a little too long. And, and it almost becomes irritating. You can tell guides even get upset sometimes when you start doing that. They Just fighting him for the fight. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, everyone likes a little pull, but at the same time, like, get the fish in. Yeah. yeah. The quicker, the better. I yes. think that is more more important than the handling at the boat. But now when Fighting the, a fish quickly. The net, yeah, when yeah. the three of you catch a really small fish, and when I'm referring to, let's say, anything under 12 inches, do you still use a net? If I am trout fishing, I use a net almost exclusively. Everything. Okay. Every time I, I trout fish, I use a net. Now, bass, crappie, bass, crappie. I tell myself that if I plan on catching a big fish, I bring a net. So I bring it every time. But uh, no, there's sometimes when I go out when I'm just like, I literally want my rod and my sidekick, you know, my little Yeti pouch. And that's all I bring with me, you know, and that's if I'm panfish or if I'm um, uh, bass fishing, I won't bring a net sometimes. I still bring it other times. Uh, And then salt water, I won't bring a net. I've made the change over to barbless hooks right, a long time right, ago. Right, right, right. And I felt like that's a quick way. And, and even having a bigger net, um, I felt helps a lot where you, you know, where you have a longer handle, not necessarily a shorter handle, but you have a little bit of longer handle like the, uh, uh, the fish pond um, nets, you know, where you can kind of, you know, swirl them around and control them more uh, if you did want to take a picture. You know, because you're they're in, they're moving, and that Rio Grande that we caught a little while ago, um, you know, utilizing that net to be able to do some other stuff. It's in the net. He's moving. He's not right. just laying in the net. You know, he's he's moving around. So you know, I, I felt pretty happy with with doing doing right. that, and and even when we released him, he was still pretty pretty feisty and, and, you know, moving pretty good. So it was like, okay, great. I mean, that's for the amount of time that we had him in the net for maybe five minutes, he was still moving around and very active and, and felt like we didn't put a lot of stress on him after. We landed him quick, yep. you know, measured him, took our pictures, measured him in the net. Uh, right, right. And, and, yeah, I took a picture holding him, but, you know, put him pretty quick back into the net, get him going. And, and he Gabe, I've off. heard you talk about a lot of panfish you've caught. Um, and I, I always say the name wrong. Cichlid. What's it called? Cichlid. Yeah, Cichlid. Rio Grande Cichlid. That, that's a relatively small fish. Do you release those in the water? Do you take them out of the water when you release them? I mean, the, How do you the, get the that? small ones. I again, mean, again, that's, so it's pretty easy. To take right, and that and that's what's nice. So you could either take the hook out without, um, right. 
you know, on the ground like that, or right. you can, you know, grab them real quick to do it. I don't feel like I'm holding them that long to really right. make a difference. Plus, they're in, they're in the bass, uh, panfish yeah. family. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. they're still pretty sturdy. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's back to your point about it depends on the fish. I think warm water versus yeah. cold water. Warm water fish seem to be a little more sturdy than a cold water. Fish. And, and again, it's it. It's going to happen where you get a fish that was probably too big for that fly you threw still try to inhale the whole thing and get really down there. It, it happens. You can't control it. There's been some where they didn't leave, you know, very strongly, and he kind of felt bad about it, but it's, you know, what do you, it's just... It's like you said, you it's a blood sport at the end of the day. There yeah. are going to be some fish who don't make it yeah. when you release them. Yeah, I've caught a carp more than once where it swallowed it. And so that's what I would do is I just cut the fly and let them go. Yeah. Because word I get is back to your point when it's barbless, they get rid of it pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that's what uh keep them wet organization mm-hmm. recommends is that it's if cutting. It's cut if you get a fish. If it's down the gullet. It, yeah. Is to cut it, cut your line and that hook will rust out yeah. very quickly. They'll get rid of it fast. Now I've been to a couple of catch and keep places where if uh like I wasn't planning on keeping a fish. But I got hook a fish, and so I was just like, "All right, I'm going to keep a couple now," you know. And so then I made that decision to to keep a couple rainbows. Um, yeah, I had friends in Montana that would insist on the last day, "Would you please keep a couple because they wanted fresh fish?" and And I'm perfectly fine with that. It never was a big deal to keep two or three. It was not catch my limit, but okay, I can keep a couple. Catch a meal. Catch what you're going to eat. And again, I wasn't planning on it. Catch what you're going to eat because so much fish I know that's in people's freezers. Oh yeah, gets yeah. tossed, and so that's the thing is that I we weren't planning on it, but we caught the one and it was gut hook, and I was trying. I didn't, you know, I was like, well, I know we can keep fish, so now we're going to keep probably three or four fish, and we're going to go smoke them, you know. And we did, and it was great. Um, I don't do that every time. I don't do, even do it most of the time at all, you know. But it was legally allowed, and. That conservation organization I talked about in Utah, where I'd go, we'd always go up. My friend Dick and I would go up there a day early. And that was always our rule was, we're there before everyone else. If we catch a fish, we eat fish for dinner. If we don't, we eat beans. And other than one time, we had fish. Yeah. Time. Mm. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having beans was a humiliating experience. <laughs> <laughs> that one time, you're like, yeah. oh, man, yeah. fish is a lot better. <laughs> fish, fishing for uh, food in a, there's some people like YouTubers that are like, I'm going up for four days and I'm only eating what I catch. Like they don't right. take food with them. Yeah. Right, right. And you're like, that adds a little bit of pressure to fishing. I feel like, yeah, if you were allowed, I feel like I'd start catching worms and start. Yeah, that's right. We're eating yeah. ants today, guys. <laughs> yeah. So, Jim, what other questions did you have for us? Well, like I said, I wanted to do kind of somewhat of a, a Q&A with all of you, and that is that, that, first off, are fly anglers snooty versus bait and spin fishermen? Yes. Yes, but I feel like it's changing as to why they're snooty. I what's mean, this, what's this, what do you mean? Okay, so what would be the snootiness? What what would the snootiness? Snooty. Snootiness. That a fly angler feels superior yes. to a spin fisherman. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. feel like that used that is that was the case, and it still is a little bit. Still right. Like we still make hardcore. jokes about the guy throwing yeah. rooster tails. There's a lot less guys right. doing it, doing yeah. the fly fishing aspect, but I feel like once they're in the game, then it's. I was never proud of my ability to fish until you had Tom Rosenbauer on your podcast, and he said he has no idea how to cast a bait casting reel. And I thought, whoa, dude, I can. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I get don't a bird's nest. That. I was real proud of myself. I, mean, thinking, <laughs> I don't get a bird's yeah, nest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, because I do go back and forth. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. as I shared with you all before the podcast began, 
there's a guide I use, Jerry Perez, out of Miami. And that is when you get on this boat, no, it's a 50-50 deal. You half the time we're with spinning gear and bait casting gear. The other half, I got a fly rod in my hand. It so just depends on what's going to happen, where and how. The only other issue I've always had, and I, I shared with uh, basically earlier, and that is, but I do find in high wind, I always prefer spinning gear because it's so much easier to cast. If all I have is a fly rod, then I'm going to force myself to figure out how to cast into the wind. Yeah. And so that's why there are times I prefer that I only had a fly rod because otherwise I'll fall back to the easy one and grab the spinning gear and just start casting some big old jig head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of forced your, your hand. Mm-hmm. But do you guys do you guys feel that now, and you kind of, I feel like it started in salt and it's kind of trickling now through, but there's almost like a uh, like a cool kids club when it comes to fly fishing. You yeah. know what I mean? No, there, there, there is. Oh, no, there is. Right. But like... You know, like what was like the snooty, oh, we're better than the bait fisher is now like even more so like, oh, we're not necessarily snooty, but like we're cooler than everybody because we fly fish. No, and we're cooler thing. because That's we how the fly whole fish. huge fly fisher, I'm a huge fly fisherman thing kicked off. Right. Off with it's, yeah. it's told, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's still snooty, but it's snooty for a different reason, you know? Landon, you said you talked about you're doing less and less videos because it's such a pain in the rear to do those kind of videos. Why yeah, I got you, like eight I need to edit right now. I know, but why don't you post more videos? What is the process? And and I get it. I have a friend that does it. All Everything he does is video. And he says he gets one to two minutes per hour of videoing. And I know Tom Rosenbauer, and I met with him. I talked about it. He only sits in the back of the boat. And he goes, the only time I ever get in the front is when I'm in a video and that he's being filmed. Yeah. And that's why I talked about some of the videos I saw from Three Rivers Ranch. And he said that half-hour video took 10 days so i i got a gopro in and i started doing it and now i'm feeling like what landon has to go through right because you're just going through b-roll and it's just like i i could could use this i'm really struggling to use it i don't yeah it's it's a lot okay so gabe is being too critical of himself and uh only wants to release perfection so that's what i'm gonna say about (laughs) uh gabe's commentary my thing is is time so we transition from youtube to a podcast because a podcast we sit down for an hour and a half with Jim, um, and then it takes two hours to edit an hour and a half podcast. About one and a half times the length of the episode is how long it takes to edit. So for four to five hours a week, what most people could find that amount of time, uh, you can release a podcast episode with a little bit more time maybe for scheduling guests and things like that. So very manageable amount of time. Um, and we don't even, none of us edit the podcast. We are doing the fun part in recording. And then we have two guys, Carson, my younger brother, thanks Carson and Evan, uh, who uh, they kind of rotate editing, do different things. And so they edit the podcast because they enjoy doing it and uh, they want to help us out. And we very much appreciate yes, their assistance. Thank you. Guys. So um, we're not even having to edit the podcast because these guys enjoy listening to it through the editing process, cleaning up our mistakes so we can put out a good show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, uh, but the YouTube thing is if you think about a YouTube video, um, if me and Zach go fishing, um, let's say we go fishing on a Saturday. And uh, we fish for five hours. We fish for five hours. Right, right. We're why we're out fishing. We're constantly having to record. We're changing batteries. We're changing batteries. We're making sure we're recording the right things. Um, we're thinking about B roll. We're thinking about other shots. It, thinking it about take, filming as opposed to fishing. It takes you out of fishing. Like the reason why you wanted to film your fishing experience, it takes you out of that a little bit. Yeah, because you're no longer just out there to experience being out there. You're there to 
create content. You know, so that almost becomes like your first nature is, okay, I'm here to make other people enjoy watching this, right? Which is fun in its own thing, but it takes, it changes why you were out there to begin with. Yeah, professional photographers talk about it and videographers talk about it. They don't bring their fly rod. Right. They're out there. They're doing that full time with you. That's what they're going to end up doing. That's why they have the quality they have. Right. Because it's, it's hard to balance both. I mean, you, you can't, but it's. Uh, that process alone, we haven't even got to the editing portion, is a ton of work. Yeah. Yep. So then, uh, so you do that, and uh, which is great, because I actually do enjoy filming and putting videos together, but not all the time. Sometimes I'm like, I need to go fishing for me, and I don't take any camera stuff, don't take any pictures. I just catch fish. Even when we went fishing after October fish, I kind of went off on myself, left the other guys behind, was really trying to focus on the Tinkara thing. I didn't take any photos. Half of that was because I didn't want any evidence of myself. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. But no, but the other part of it was like, you know what? I'm out here. I'm learning something new. I'm focused on what I'm doing. I'm enjoying my time. I need this time to fish. Um, so that's my that was my goal. Um, but then you know, me and Zach go fishing for five hours, and we got to come back. Now we have five hours of footage to go through to compile into a five to ten minute video now we're not as extreme and you have to fish for an hour to get a minute of footage because we're doing very traditional youtube videos not cinematography videos or films what i would say if you're producing a film that would very much be true you're filming an hour for maybe one minute of content. Right, and you um, kind of remember when the highlights happened, you know, and you can skim and, and, and change that process a little bit, but it still is. You're going through a lot of footage to get The only other thing is that I, I know you've talked about it before, Landon, about how much time you have to spend on social media to promote the podcast. Oh, I hate it. And that is, how about TikTok? Because that's the new hot thing, right? That's, he, I'm doing he it. He does the TikTok. Yeah. I don't even have it on I, I kind of like TikTok. Um, personally, I enjoy the content that's being put out there, especially on the fly fishing side. And some mm-hmm. of the other content and people I follow completely unrelated to fly fishing are very creative and it's unique and it's, it's pretty cool. Um, what we're doing is repurposing other content and then just reposting it to TikTok. But I will say our, we're growing on TikTok. So right. that's, I mean, that's, we, we make a fly tying short video. It goes on Instagram reels. It goes on YouTube shorts. It's a minute or less video of us tying a fly. It's a sped up version of like Gabe tying a fly. Um, he might tie like the Rio Bandito, which was the most recent one. He tied it, posted it to Instagram reels, sent me the video so I could post it to TikTok, and then I could post it to YouTube shorts. So we're taking one video and posting it to three platforms because they all accept video content. Um, in that minute or less format. We put music behind it and then call it a done deal. We're not doing anything like, I would say, magnificent. Um, but it gets good engagement. Like, we're getting 10,000 plus views on a fly tying video sometimes. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, however, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit one of the, the highlights that's happening right now. Like, one of the trending things. Okay. Yeah, on Friday, I'm going to go fish Brushy Creek. Okay, good. I'm going to do it in a ghost costume. Nice. There you go. Oh. There you go. So that'll be some good TikTok gold. I mean, that yeah. should you should have an argument with with uh, with Chris that he doesn't need Sitka. He just needs a ghost. Yeah. Is that Ooh. way? Oh, man, ghosts. They're, they're I mean, everywhere. Can't, they're trans, transparent. Yeah, make some good videos and send them over to me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Mr. A. Yes, sir. You said you like videos. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Other than Honey Hole Hangout, mm-hmm. who are some of your best fly fishing videos you like to watch? Is there somebody in particular? You know, we just had Joe Cermelli on, right. and I went through a tear of watching all his hook shots. I mean, there's like yeah. six seasons. 
wow. of it, and they're all like anywhere from ten to fifteen minutes. First time I heard about him was on this podcast. Yeah, I didn't fantastic. Even know. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That out. Ton of I, yeah, I I ran some last night. Joe's even, a legend. Yeah, and yeah. He, even the wife was just sitting there, you know, watching some of his stuff wow. um, when he went down to Laredo when they did some other stuff. Um, you know, the Trinity River trip, and and even just uh, you know fishing the Delaware and doing. So I, I think it's one of those things where. They're only 10 minutes. Right. And and then you're jumping into something else. And within their 10 minutes, it and that was one of the things that he was preaching is keep a good story. Right. And right. that's, you know, all of them were, were all awesome. There were some that I was surprised only had 2,000 views and they've been out for, for two years. Um, when man, I was like, man, I'd watch this over again. You know, just, they're yeah. fun. They're, they're that it's those types, I think, that that are pretty cool. Fly tying ones, I mean, you could throw a rock, hit twenty, you know, good ones out there. Right, yeah, right. Um, and and that's the thing. I, I think seeing it enough now, you know, you you watch one and you see them kind of doing the same thing, and they kind of copy each other, and they kind of do one off. And I think we've even seen it with our stuff too, where we might tie something and then see someone else start tying them. Uh, which is cool and whatever. It's just um, but there's only one pimple popper. There's only one pimple. There's popper. only one pimple popper. Uh, just saying. Oh man! And it was hard to watch. And it, it was, was hard <laughs> to watch. Oh man! That's why we all get glasses. But yeah, no, they're they're all fun and you know. It's, yeah, I um, think. Um, you know, yeah. The I think Gabe. Uh, just some advice to Gabe. I think he's too critical because he watches like very professional people do videos. Right. And I think your content can be entertaining without. Uh, having to be perfect, um, I think uh, Hank Patterson is a pro at that. Yeah, yeah. Hank's funny as hell. I mean, yeah. that yeah. the one he talks about catch and release. If you ever watch that, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so we catch it and then Ooh. release it into the cooler. So you're just into torture <laughs> and fish. <laughs> How about yeah. uh, books? If you've ever read a book, what is a good fly fishing book? Well, I can't read. We already established that early. I like, okay, so the I like fishing with pictures. I do have I do have a book for, that I got from Half Price. It's it's called the Fly Tires Handbook. I believe the version I have is from 1970. Uh, That's the one you gave me, right? A thick one. It's, it's fairly. It's not. I mean, it's a, maybe I don't know. Three hundred yeah. something pages. Yeah, my first one was like Kaufman, I think, on flies. Have you ever seen that one on? Fly yeah, tires? I think I have that. Yeah, one. Yeah, that's an old, um, old one. And but within this one, there's a chapter. What I like about it that's pretty neat is there's a lot of recipes, but the recipes have no picture. And oh. and 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 then on top of that, they have a whole chapter on how to prep um, your your furs off of dead animals. So like how to how to uh, uh, you know take the pelt off a squirrel, uh, you know shows you the cuts, you know how to you know what you're gonna do to, for for this, but it also has like how to do it on a black bear, how to yeah. do it on a moose, right, right, you know, yeah, so like yeah, it's yeah. it's stuff that you don't necessarily see that you know in publication now. Yeah, if you're from Louisiana, you get roadkill and you pick uh, that up. Yeah, yeah right. you know, but <laughs> everything. But it, and it and it has the people like oh you have your you have your dead squirrel okay you cut the tail off here yeah, this yeah, is exactly. what you're gonna do this is yep. you know um really cool um a really cool book uh that that was one of the first ones I, I found when I got into fly tying and it's just it's really really cool one. Gotcha. 
I would say uh, I really enjoy Steve Ramirez's books. Oh uh, yeah, for yeah. obvious yeah. reasons. I I mean I don't have to go into that any further. Both good. I mean I gotta admit I've read them cover to cover, and, and thanks to Honey Hole Hangout, I have a signed edition of yeah. the second book. We don't we're sold out. So. We are sold out. I'm just saying, mm, if yeah. people would listen to Honey Hole Hangout <laughs> and respond to you quickly, they would get his such first yes. book. Things. There's no more hard hard copies available. They've yep. completely sold Ooh, out, is my understanding. Impressive. And uh, they're moving to paperback. Yep. Wow. And then his third, third book, book comes out next comes year. Comes out next right. year. And that. I'm assuming we'll we'll have a few. You know the best part of all yeah. about him? Texas boy. Yep. Yeah. Ernie. Yeah. Man, I mean God like, bless Texas. Growing up here in the Hill Country, like yeah. seeing somebody talk about it the way like I like just growing up, going to Bernie, running through the creeks. Kind of reliving through that, man. There's just something nostalgic about it. Well, his first book really got me hooked on the idea of why am I so focused on trout? There's plenty of good fishing yeah, in yeah. Central Texas. Yes. So yeah. Steve's book's great. I'm going to also mention two others that we actually ended up talking about with Nick over the weekend. The so Feather Thief. The Feather Thief is one. Yeah. Okay. Have you read that? No. Oh, oh. my gosh. I cannot believe. Oh. It is. The Feather Thief. people the have feather not read the, thief. the Feather Thief. It is. It's true, okay. true crime. It's true crime. Yeah. But it is it is good. Okay, if we're talking about... Have you read The Feather Thief? I have not, but that's all I was talking with, with Dutch about. And I'm, we've talked about this before on, on, on other co- uh, podcasts. I've listened to the story. So, yeah, I'm aware of it. I just haven't read the book. You need so, to read it. Everybody needs to read it. It is a modern heist yeah. worth millions of dollars of stolen fly-tying materials. And it wow. is a true story. That's all I'm going to say. Yes. It is so good. It is um, very, yeah, very good. Yeah. Uh. Uh, little teaser there. You guys have to read it. I couldn't put, the, couldn't put it down. Uh, and then one other book I will say, maybe not everyone's cup of tea, uh, but a book called An Entirely Synthetic Fish. I saw it. You were read telling it. me about this. Yeah. I, I, do I know. Every time I catch a rainbow trout, I go, eh. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank have you. you read it? Yes. Yeah. So cover to cover. It's a... Because it's my favorite fish. It's uh, it's a history book, um, so it is not. Uh, if you're interested in it, you'll love it, and if you're not, you're not. You're, you're, you're not, not gonna like. You're not, not gonna, gonna like it. it. But as someone who's a history major and had to read these types of books uh, of similar format a lot in college, uh, I found it very interesting. But it is the history of rainbow trout in America and how they are now the mode, most widespread fish. Uh, trout specifically in the United States and how that happened in the history behind it and how basically there's not really any purebred rainbows anymore. Um, well, the Russians just, would argue about that, by yeah. the way. But yeah, Well, in the United States. Yeah, because Kamchatka, it, they kept trying to tell me, this is the origin of the rainbow trout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, that is a very good book as well. Um, and I'm going to let you borrow it. And I will yeah, get that to you I am, tonight. I am curious about reading it. And if you want to borrow The Feather Thief, I can let you put that on loan. I'll probably just download it, and while I'm working, just have it go in the background. Okay. I think that would probably be quicker. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you, yeah. you can't read. I forgot yeah, about read. that. Yeah, yeah, the Feather Thief is is good, though. It's yes, so good. I do well, want to read. Look, full disclosure, I'm dyslexic, and it's already like, it's in my in my regular day, I read a lot. And, yeah. you know, growing up with it, I've already, you know, got all the, the tips and tricks for me that work. But there's a lot of times where, like, I really have to sit down and, and, and take force. and force the read on yeah. it. I get and it. Don't you always hate it when someone says, you know, I promise I'll read that. Landon, you told Tom Rosenbauer oh. you would read <laughs> The Longest Silence by Thomas Wagrain. 
he told you it was the book of books of books. He goes, you don't know the, anything about fly fishing until you've read that book. And I'm not going to put you on the spot, but mm. we all should. That is a classic. Wait, what's it called? The, the Longest Silence the longest by Thomas Gwane, M-C-G-U-A-N-E. Okay. And it is, it is one of those classic, great fly fishing books. Again, you're talking to a boomer, so it's an old book by an old author. And admittedly, it is different. I mean, I got to admit, Trout Bum is yeah. probably still to this day my favorite of all time. Trout Bum? Yeah, and it wasn't so much the story, because he is funny how he writes, but that is as at Garrick, and that is, it was the idea of just being that way. Before he became a famous author, he was poor. Mm. And like all of us, you know, could barely afford anything, and there he is out fishing all the time. And it was a great idea, and the concept was, and that's why I always say, he's not that anymore. He's written over 20 books now, and so he's very wealthy. He's very well to do. He lives in Lyons, Colorado. So I already have the book saved. What's you do. It, so wait, what's list. it called? The Longest Silence, A Life in Fishing. Who wrote Thomas it? McGuane. Thomas McGuane. Who wrote the Trout Bum that you were talking about? Uh, that would be John Gierich. Okay. He wrote another yeah. one. Was it, didn't he do the Death, Taxes, Leaky Waiters, that yeah. one too? Yep. He did. And, and apparently one called Sex, Death, and Fly Fishing. Yeah. yeah, and his most recent. But the other one that I, of his that I like, and there are two that I like quite a bit, A Rod of Your Own. And he goes really into the whole point about doing bamboo rods. Yeah. And I've never owned one. I've, I've read that I've fished with one before. Yeah, exactly. A Rod of Your Own. But it does kind of give you a feel for it. A couple of you have worked at fly shops. You know what I'm talking about, and that is that some people come in and, and for the sake of nothing more than the history of our sport. That's why I said that why did I fish the Test River in England? Well, because it's the same reason a golfer, you know, goes to a famous place in Scotland to go golfing. It's because that was the origin of our sport. Yeah. Not a great place to go fishing. There are better places to go fishing, but it's where fly fishing began. So therefore, I wanted to find out, and a golfer does the same thing. Well, yeah, and St. Andrews rod. isn't like it's so flat, and there's not much to it. But it's yeah, St. Andrews, exactly, that's and that's exactly do. the point. And yeah. that's why I would say the same thing. And that's what a bamboo rod does. I'm not going to go back to silk line. I'm not going to do all the other things. But a bamboo rod you takes back. you back to kind of that origin of how did Grandpa used to fish? Like a tether, yeah, to, to the original, yeah. How about for uh, television shows? I've heard you talk about it. Lone Star Law. You guys have all watched that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Not all of, not every episode. Yeah, but I, I watch clips. I don't. I watch I, every I once in a while. Watch an episode. No, yeah. I watch them all. Yeah, my two favorite guys: Randolph McGee and Fannin County, and then Danny yeah. Richards. He's retired, but also there. Just good people, and it's a really interesting story. If you don't know about it, um, Trout Unlimited got started, and as you know, on the Guadalupe, and they started complaining about the water coming out of the dam. And it has to be a certain flow in order to keep the trout alive. Mm-hmm. So they sued, and they won the lawsuit. Well, part of the lawsuit was, you now have to pay us back for the cost of our legal expenses. And so that's what happened is, the state representative lawyer shows up and says to Trout Unlimited, by the way, I was told to tell you two words when I give you this check, and it was F you. <laughs> and now if you've gone to a Trout Unlimited meeting, you'll see. The state of Texas is a big supporter, and there are all kinds of fishing game people. And that's what I think about when I see Lone Star Law is that, yeah, they're game wardens. And sometimes we're not crazy about what game wardens do to us, but the reality is they're protecting our resources. I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of made, it took them from being that guy or gal with a badge to, no, they're looking out for the same thing I'm looking out for. And uh, that's okay. I don't mind paying for my license, which pays for their salary. Yeah. In fact, that's something that's a sidebar when I go to another state. 
and I go fish in Colorado for four or five days, I don't get a four or five day license. I get an annual license because me, it's a user fee. I'm telling the state of Colorado, I'm from out of state. I'm coming into your state to go fishing. Here's a hundred bucks, you know, use it to protect fish yeah. because that's what it's like. When you go on a toll road, you pay for the use of that toll road. Well, when you buy a fishing license, you're supporting conservation for that particular state. So it does go to something good. Um, you know, and I got to tell you, I got to ask you all about this one, and that is, I only am on the water 15, 20 days a year, but I love this sport. I wish I could do a lot more, which is why I shared with you all that I finally signed up for the lease access program through Trout Unlimited, Greater the Guadalupe River Trout Unlimited lease access program. I want to do some more DIY fishing. And then also the book we talked about. I wanted to get some more warm water. That's why the, the three of you have taught me there's a lot of warm water to fish around mm-hmm. here. But I just have to ask, and that is, is that I've also said I should work in a fly shop. Now, I realize you're not going to get rich working at a fly shop. I've heard that talked about more than once. But tell me what that experience is like, Gabe, the good and bad. Have you made your money back working at Orvis since you started? What's it like getting fired from a fly shop? Oh, yeah. What's it, it like getting it fired you, from a fly shop? Working at a big box store <laughs> makes you real jaded quick about people, the people in it, about yeah. customers in general. Judging people quickly but, on their haircuts. But, but, people, but people in it. And I, and I feel like... I had a good friend in Minneapolis work at the very same shop. Yeah. And he talked about that, too, because there's different kind of fly anglers. It, well, there's different there. kind of fly yeah. anglers. There, there, is, there is a big uppityness you know because there's a lot of times where the guys working there aren't as knowledgeable as they should be for what you would think they would be yeah exactly right so so off the bat there is that there's that perspective and that that um that thought from some of the customers that have been there or that are, are very good in the sport um i think there also is a little bit of the fact that um i'm not old and white yeah and and that's come into play a number of times in my time at the big box store. Did it? Yes. Really? Oh, like, no. You, you feel no, like fly people... anglers are four things, I've always said. Old, rich, white, yeah. male. Um, so do you yeah, feel like people just didn't, didn't, like, didn't trust your opinion? You or? would walk in, you'd see me, and you'd see uh, Jim over here. Right. You'd see me first. You'd go to Jim for the question. So you, you would just experience that? Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that I knew that the other person who was there would be like, I don't know the answer. Gabe does. So why I know. Going I, I used to always say that. Yeah. Like, yeah I've been told that so, more than once. So yeah. that it, it, it has come up. I feel like in making the move to Orvis, it's different. Right. It's different because I feel like the people that are coming in the Orvis have that high expectation that these guys know what, right. what's if going on. If you're meeting yeah. them in the fishing section, they're going to trust that you know what you're talking about. Yes. It doesn't matter what and, you're And like. that's where I, I never felt that, as even as much as I knew, never felt that working at the big box store, which, again, I understand why. Right. Because there's other people that work there and other stores that have been there and younger guys that have been there who are not very knowledgeable and say, okay, go fish a size 14 parachute Adams. I got told that. You know, and so those things. Catch any fish? <laughs> and now, and now he wasn't on Tinkari. So. <laughs> no, yeah, it wasn't on Tinkari. But what I find interesting, though, you made friends working at Orvis. Someone said, "Hey, come on." I met Zach working right. at Orvis. Well, we I met Gabe we working call. at Orvis, yeah. but we wouldn't have been friends. Yeah, yeah we wouldn't. We wouldn't be friends yeah. currently. No, uh, not at all. I met uh, 
gosh, so many people. Yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Like, I have really close friends. Like, one in particular would come in a lot. Yeah. And he was, uh, <laughs> he, he's he's uh, my my type of hilarity, uh, yeah. you know, very straight shooter and and uh, and, and will we'll mess with you. And he Wait, used to come in. Was this the murderer? No. No, no. <laughs> I didn't say he came in. I said, what work. Oh, my God, get out of here. I know. And, um, That's my fault, by no, the way. Sorry, dude. But so, in two quick stories of that, one, he came in and he's like, oh, do you do this? Do you do that? I'm like, you know what? I don't know. You know, I don't. I have no idea, but I'm yeah. sure you can go online. You can find it. Yeah. And yeah. and instead of giving a, a BS response, he was appreciative of that. Became really good friends. He is a hell. He's like one of the best saltwater fly fishers I know of. Who isn't a guide? And um, but you know, I we, we've been family friends for for the last you know fifteen something years. And through him, met other other uh, guys that he knew too. And we all have this now core group of, of fly fishermen and the other guy that came in was a member of real recovery and they and he came in and said hey we need extra helpers this weekend i've seen you i've already talked to you i know you know your stuff uh are you available you know next weekend to help out that's how i found out about real recovery and that it even existed you know, everyone knows casting for recovery but right. the real recovery i never knew until that happened so i'm grateful for it it's cool it's just you know it's a mixed bag it's i think it's yeah. a mixed bag in a bigger shop in a smaller shop, uh, and not necessarily saying Orvis is a smaller shop, I just think that the mentality is I'm going to Orvis and I know what I need and I know that the guys working there know their stuff and they're there for a reason. So I'm appreciative of that too. So, but yeah. Well, when you were not around, I asked your two friends sitting at this table, okay. is it okay to ask you this question? And they said, sure. Okay. And that is two things I would ask. Tell me a life lesson that you learned that we all should learn without having to get cancer that you learned. Mm-hmm. And two, tell me how fly fishing has helped in that real recovery. What was the first one? How did what was a life lesson you've learned that we don't want to have to learn by having get, get received cancer? Something kind of hey, I do differently. I do this life differently in life because of my experience. I I know I'm not I'm not even close to the same person I was before and after the diagnosis. So how are you different than this? What I'm asking? Just more to the I, I don't. <laughs> my wife will probably tell you I'm not as go lucky fun as I was oh. previous to it. Interesting. Um, I think there's certain things that happened in the day where I used to concern myself with that I could give a shit about. Minor it doesn't details. matter. The minor details does yeah. not matter to me. Cool. Um, you know, I think that's been a benefit. Um, you know, there's, I think as just a day to day, we get locked in, in this really small, medial things that don't matter whether it be at work right whether it be at home whether it be whatever um You're i th- worried I th- about small things in other words but in not going through this there would have been small things that i would have thought were huge right there was such a big deal flat tire yeah you know car broke down whatever i would have been pissed and like oh, this sucks whatever Where now it's like okay i got money in the bank we get it fixed yeah okay you got waste a day but you know who cares? Right. Whatever. Um, Interesting. Good one. Yeah, it, it's just. Again, I just I know I'm not. I know I'm not that same person. I think again, a lot of it is because it's it's not it's never ending. It's you know you you continue to have blood work every six months. You continue right. to have tests and scans away, every six months, right. just to be like, okay, you're good. All right, great. But it's still you, a reminder of what I just went. You get through. to do it again. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, 
I hate giving blood, and for the fact I have to do it twice, two to three times a year, and I've been doing it for the last seven years. Right. I still haven't seen the needle go in my arm. Yeah, turn your head. Feel yeah. it. Haven't seen it. I don't even know what color my blood is. <laughs> uh, I give blood to the blood center, and I still don't look. Yeah, and yeah. and and then you know when you when you go to certain lab course because you know the person that's working there does a great job in in taking blood. A phlebotomist. You know, yeah, yeah. it's just it, it's little stupid things like that. But it's yeah, I, I, that's the thing. I know it's it's always there. It's not ending. And there's a possibility that I'm high risk at other cancers because of the treatment that I had just for this. Um, but it's just like when you get good service. I always tell the waiter or waitress, I really appreciate what you just did for me. Mm-hmm. This was great service. I do the same thing with phlebotomist. I go, look, I give blood all the time. You did a really good job on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let them know. Yeah, yeah. I get, I've given two in, in that time. I've given two hugs. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, because there's been times where you go and they're stabbed you three times and they're like, we can't really get a good Oh, one. yeah, the rolling vein story. Yeah. Oh, I hate oh, that. Oh, it's like, yeah. right, man, have you drinking good water? Like, man, yeah. I don't know. You're already making me nervous. I'm about to tell you to call someone else uh-huh. in here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it, it's like I said, it's, it's always there. You know, I know I'm a little different, but I know there's a lot of things where I've just, you know, whether it be family stuff with uncles and aunts arguing right. about dumb stuff or just, yeah, just certain things are just like, whether it be at work. Um, and I've had, I've had coworkers pass for either COVID or one drown swimming that was 25 oh. and you would think, you know, so it, it, that's one thing. But when you, when you have something like, you know, like a cancer diagnosis, uh, it's, again, it's that realization. It's like, it's not important. You know, we're all going to die. Right. So do do I worry about you know all the all the little dumb stuff, or you know at least enjoy the now and and you know take take a day at a time. And I think Mar- that's how Marcus work Aurelius too. talked about it being stoic, that stoic philosophy, and yeah. that's kind of what he was point was as he goes, yeah, this just happens in life. So yeah, and look, we're all going with it. We're all going through crap. We're all dealing with stuff on the day to day. Um, and and I don't know. I don't know what, you know, everyone has to think a different tolerance. Mm-hmm. And once they hit that tolerance, um, you know, they learn a lot about themselves and, and what they can do. And and I think it, definitely having that um, taught me a lot about, like, the amount of, you know, pain and crap and, you know, stuff uh, that I can go through and, and, and get through it and, and move on. And it didn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, you know, you, you, ran through a depression diagnosis there for of course for a, a couple of months uh, a couple of years back um and you know t- dealing with that but it, you know maintaining and just you know keeping a certain mindset um you know goes a long way but a- again it's just i wish a lot of people had accessibility to things like real recovery or even family and friends to be able to talk about or just other resources and i know there's people out there that they just can't you know can't handle it. I mean, listening to, to Chris uh, uh, Fowler in, in this, this week's episode and having him talk about a guy that came in, you know, and, and if he hadn't come in that day, no telling where his buddy would have been, yeah. you know, by the end of the week. Yeah. You know, and, and so those little things happen for a reason, and I'm, I'm grateful for it, and, and it keeps me going and enjoy being a part of, of real recovery. And Well, that's and, why that and the second part the of the question was real recovery. And again, as you yeah. know, I was really bummed I couldn't join you, but I was fishing with Tom up well, in Idaho. But, but you need to talk to Gabe because he's a fishing buddy coordinator for the next, the next one. Exactly. Yeah. And so I want to volunteer, but mm-hmm. tell me how real recovery, why does that work? What is it about that that helps cancer? Yeah, so, I mean, coming, 
being as young as I was, I think it was like what 30, 33 when it happened. Right. Um, wife, or we had a kid that was just born. She was a couple of months old. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you know going through that. Yeah. Uh, there's no one that age. There's no one in my in my circle that I could talk to about it. Who you can talk to about cancer your age? Um, I had buddies who had, you know, I had a, a close friend of mine whose, whose wife passed from, uh, from metastatic breast cancer, uh, during the same time that I was going through, in fact, she was on the downhill when I was going through my treatment and I would get a lot of calls and texts from her, um, even in, in those last months and for how bad she was, she still was texting me and calling me and, you know, as drugged up as she was, you know, to say, you got this, you can, you can get through this crap and, and you can do it. And I remember seeing her, um, they had a big fundraiser in Waco for, uh, Allison and they, uh, they, they had a band out there, they had uncle Lucius out there playing. It was a cool thing. It was a big fundraiser for the, for the family. Um, all the, our little fry fishing buddies were there. And, you know, I remember talking with her, you know, everyone's coming up, and they're all asking the same question. They're like, oh, how are you doing? You know, how are you doing? Right, right. And, um, you know, her, at this point, her face is swollen because of the steroids. She started to get a, uh, uh, her center line in. Um, and, you know, a month after that, she would have passed. Uh, but I remember going and giving her a big hug, uh, seeing her light up because, you know, I was there. And, and it wasn't necessarily asking, like, how are you doing? It was, you know, more more of that connection of like, you know, when I ask how you're doing, it's not how are you doing with with the treatment and all of that. It's it's how are you? How are you doing right now? There's a newscaster who talked about that. He goes, you know, the most stupid question was that. He goes, I have friggin' cancer. Yeah. He goes, don't ask me that yeah. question. He goes, instead, tell me some quip yeah. from the day. Tell me something funny that happened or, to you. Or and then the Just, worst, yeah. the, and then the worst follow up is, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, for what? Yeah. You didn't do anything. So she, I remember, her, you know, seeing her, giving her a big hug. And, and in that moment, you know, she's like, you know, don't you get tired of people asking you how you doing? And, you know, and kind of smiling. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I get it. And, Good advice. you know, we, we talked for a little bit. And like I said, a, a month after that, she ended up, she ended up passing. But, you know, it, 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 it sucks. It's part of it. We're all going to go through something. We're all not going to live forever. I'm sorry, Landon. You're not going to, unless you're, Ted Williams and your head's gonna be <laughs> frozen, <laughs> uh, but y- you know you know what's gonna happen. And you wanna you know you you wanna hold on to it. But I think that was a big kind of relief and realization right. in in dealing with it. Is that it's, it's gonna happen. I've got I have no control. And I think this real recovery teaches you just like look, you have no control of of what's going on, right? And it's like you can either bitch about it and 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 use it as an excuse or you can get on with whatever time you have left and enjoy whatever you have time left than sitting there and and just you know hating on it and and then right. being a worse person and a worse husband and a worse you know dad or whatever because you're letting that eat at you and uh and I think that's been a lot of the big take- takeaways from the guys that we've we've had in here well I don't know quite how to transition off of that so i'm just gonna go to the point he made about there are jerks in this world i share with all of you i've signed up for the first time with a lease access program with a grtu what do you say to the person 
who steps in right on your water when you're fishing. Because there are jerks on the water. What do you say to them? I, the best line I ever heard was somebody told me, and I have actually used it twice. And I look at him and go, hey, if I asked you to move, would we still be friends? Now, both times I got an FU response. But my point was I wanted to get it across. Back to your point, not everybody is good. Not everybody is nice. Sometimes they can be jerks. What do you say to somebody when that happens? What, what's the right term for it when they come in right above you in the water? High-holing. High-holing. What do you say to someone when they high-hole? Do you say anything, or do you just walk away, or what do you do? I land the biggest catfish I can on my urine. <laughs> <laughs> and I say there's only catfish here. Oh, that's a good yeah, one. Keep moving on. I like keep that. moving on. I like that. I got to admit, I've never caught a catfish I don't think I've ever been. Fly. I don't think I've ever been hosed that bad. See, because I thought in the Guadalupe that does happen. Well, look, uh, there's been times where the three of us are fishing, but we're all, we're all moving diff- up. Also different when you're friends. Yes. Well, I'm with friends. I've, I've oh, talked I'd about it like, before. My friend would get on his hands and knees and crawl up. I go, you're catching six-inch fish. He goes, what's the point? And I go, watch. I go, storming in the water. I'd catch them. I go, when they're that small, they're not being that close. Yeah. It's back to our point about the big fish. Big fish are smart. Those you got to be careful about, but the yeah. small ones, yeah. I think if you're doing it right, you're there early and no one's around you. I think you've seen more of those issues at like two o'clock in the afternoon when no one's catching anything, and you you drive the fourth crossing and you see thirty people out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, combat fishing. Yeah, but it's like in the middle of the day, like you're. You, you when know, I don't when know. we're talking about the quad specifically, for me, I tend to go to areas that aren't as highly trafficked. Yeah. And if someone is also willing to make the trek to those areas, meaning walking a long distance in the water, that's a pain in the butt. Right. Um, I usually make friends with them. Yeah. Hey, why don't we? What flies are you working? And we kind of like end up making kind of end up making a friend on the river because it's Good almost one. like we shared experience. Like, okay, we were both willing to get up really early and hike to this spot. There's no reason we both can't fish it as if we're friends. Right. And so, like, building that up Because yeah, if you're friends, you would fish a few feet apart. Anyway, yeah. You right, know? right, so right. it's not like yeah. it matters, yeah. you know. Well, and you do that leapfrog thing that we yeah. do on yeah. the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But you're, you're within 15, 20 feet of them. Yeah, yeah. well, because you, know. you want to share the experience. Hey, wow. Yeah. You know, it is almost yeah. as much fun as catching one yourself, watching your friend catch It them, is. If not more. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, t- yeah really. I tend to not go to those spots that are so highly trafficked that I have to worry about being high-hold. I can't think of a time that I've been high-hold. Now, on the boat, on the raft, on the float trips, there have been some different issues, but that's a different deal. Um, i trying yeah. to think. My only issue was at the San Juan one time. I was fishing a hole, and I hooked into a fish, and I had, like, I had to move with the fish, you know. And as I was moving with the fish, a guy was kind of, like, going towards the hole. Same <laughs> spot where you just yeah, caught it. Yeah, I was just that, right? And I did. That fish popped off. And I remember, I didn't say anything, but I hightailed it back to the hole to beat him back to where I just was. So that's a, that's a, that would, did you say anything to him? I did not say anything, but I beat him there. Yeah. If I had not beat him there, I don't know. I probably would have said something, um, but I guess it depends on the day. I had a guide actually on the San Juan uh-huh. make me cast. And the reason why was then the guy floated right over where my fly was. Uh-huh. He said something to him and that's when he, I'll meet you on the takeout. And I'm like. Whoa, really? What are, what are we, 12? You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guide thing is a whole different... The guides are way more competitive than yeah. just the they solo are. anglers. I yeah, think. I feel like... But then again, I've never really ran it. Like, yeah, look, I there's had there's that issue. There's places that we know that... I tend to be nicer. Yeah, but yeah, but there's, yeah. There, there are... But I think that's the thing, too. There are places that we know that are high traffic that we're going to go to fish because maybe, for whatever reason, that's the only place we could fish in the time that we have, right? Yeah. 
probably not going to bitch about it as much because we know that comes with the territory of that location yeah. in there. It also depends if I've caught a fish or not. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But, you know, I it, it'd be it'd be one of those where I totally, yeah, if that guy was, was dry fly fishing and, you know, he did that, I'd probably throw on the heaviest thing I had just start slamming the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, man, going for meat today. I don't know what's going on. Why they're not, you know, going after it today. <laughs> throw, but, throw on one of Chase's yeah, game changers. Yeah, just, yeah. Throw a huge, just with the biggest You're, splash. Or a freaking meat whistle. Just throw <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have caught your kayak except for the fact you're right in front of me. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think we've all put in the work in, in the spots that we have that it's it, we, it's exactly that getting on, getting putting the work in to get to areas that you're not going to be hassled with and you're going to get into fish yeah. and have fun with. It. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when should I change my fly line? That I one time went into a store and was talking about it, and the guy behind the counter said, "How long have you had this line?" I go. Eight years, and then behind him was the owner, and she yells out, eight years, and just freaked out about it. Like, well, it was good fly line. I mean, and how long before you change? So fly I've line? heard, I've heard different things. Yeah, I've heard uh, seventy-five to one hundred days on the water. Yeah, that seems more reasonable. What? Yeah, and, and I think yeah. how you I got store a couple it. lines I got to yeah, change well, out. There. I think how you store it too. You know, if you're storing it in dark places, I think sun kills a lot of stuff. Heat kills yes, a lot of stuff. Yes. What if it went from inside of a garage? Yeah. Which that was dark. Mm-hmm. to Now inside an air conditioned. Then bedroom. you're fine. It's fine. Yeah. But what if I've had it for like five years? Well, look. Or six years. Go. Is go your fly line floating? Yeah. And if it's not, guess what? Yeah. You have a the sinking line is, now. The tip is not. The, you have a sinking line now. It's yeah, intermediate. intermediate. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. It I was, do need to get a five weight line, and I told you guys that before October fish. Yeah. I definitely know I needed. We would have guys that bring in, but would bring in the the rod or the reel and the nice thing is they're in the shop in, in at bass like we had that little trout area a little walkway right right so i'm like okay let's tear some off throw it in the water and see what happens and sure enough you'd see like half of it start sinking i was like yeah it's probably time for a new one yeah you know but if you throw the tip out nothing's going on like yeah you're and fine. textured lines now are supposed to last much longer <laughs> yeah i need to get a new textured line so, are you guys a fan of textured lines I do. I, I mean, had the first. They sound different going through your line guides. They do. Well, yeah. not as loud as they used to be because I had no I, the shark line. You I remember had the first that? one? I had the first one. Yeah, the first Whoa. shark skin that was hurt awesome. your fingers. Oh, it's yeah. so real. It was that noticeable. Oh, yeah, yeah, very textured, and then especially like on a hot day, uh-huh. uh, it, it, or even on the coast where your hands would dry yeah. up. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you you'd, you'd feel you'd notice it. it, and then when going and then even casting. You see, I liked it because when you cast it, it would. Exactly. Like, yeah. 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 Like you're throwing a little bait cast. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, yeah, it was like you were throwing a bait cast where you, you could hear it. Yeah. And some people were just like, I can't stand the sound. I'm like, it's not even that loud, A, to begin with. And it sounds really not that and big it was sound, but it was it was cool when you got a good cast out and you'd, you'd hear it go through. <sighs> but yeah, f- feeling it. The the newer, like the 2.0s and, and the other ones, they kind of went from like that shark skin to more of like a golf ball dimple yeah. texture. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, a little, they're a little different. But yeah, I still had that first one on one of the. One of my rods, and it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, three of you want to hear all three of you give an answer. Money is no object. Your bucket list, where do you go fly fishing? Mm, somewhere like uh, Christmas Island. Yep, I don't there. know, one of those, yeah. Great one. Most bonefish I ever caught. Yeah, something like yeah. that. If money is no object. You can go anywhere you want. I'm probably going to the Seychelles. Yeah, yeah, Alvin Gadeau talks about that a lot. Because it's a $30,000 trip. It's probably the most expensive fly fishing trip you can do. It takes forever to get, get there. The GTs, but apparently the fishing's phenomenal. 
But if I reworded your question and asked, uh, what's a realistic trip I could do possibly in my lifetime uh, would be Mongolia. Yeah. yeah, that would be cool. Mm. But the only thing I've always heard about that, though, is that the, the time and art, you're right, huge, the largest trout in the world. Mm-hmm. But you catch one. And so it's like steelhead. You're going to be fishing a long time. Don't care. Well, For me, like, that remember, trip is guys just all, as much about the culture and being been, in Mongolia than it is the, the time. And but it's been a long time since I've been single. But the four of us all remember when someone said, I want to introduce you to someone. She has a great personality. You're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I talk to someone about Mongolia, they always go on, oh, but it's beautiful. I go, but how's the fishing? And now I always say, well, why aren't you talking about the fishing? They talk about the scenery, the people, but they don't talk about the fishing. So I've always said, eh. but you still want to go to Mongolia. I still. I mean, that's yeah. a full immersive trip, I think. It would be cool, exactly it's that. A full, it's yeah. a full immersion full. trip. And yeah. Staying in yeah. yurts the whole bit. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, I don't think the guys I've talked to that have done the Orvis Mongolia trips – um, their take on it is that uh, it is more than one tame in a trip type yeah. of trip, yeah. especially if you can cast like newbies that go that don't really know what they're doing. That might be realistic, but I've heard numbers in like two to three a day, yeah. not the huge ones, but still. But if you can get one huge one on a trip, that's a win. And if you're catching two to three a day and then catching trout on top of that. And there's pike there. And there's some other fish pike. they will catch a, a name I'd not heard, but they all talk about. But, yeah, I've heard yeah. about it as well. So if you're also there catching trout and you're not like, you know, you're catching kind of like, hey, I've caught, you know, heard and I'm like, I was catching trout all day, caught two time and, you know, and then some pike. That sounds like a pretty damn good yeah. trip to and me. And the other yeah. thing you don't realize it, you have to remember how much Mongolians love us because they're surrounded by communist country, communist country, <laughs> Russia and China. <laughs> yeah. And they love Americans. And if you don't know, I went to a school with a huge amount of Native Americans. They look just like Native Americans. In fact, even the language reminds me of Navajo or Apache. And so that's why they say, well, we came across the Aleutian chain. And that was kind of their argument. All right. Bucket list. I have a hard time picking one. Come on. One or two then. Okay. Okay. I'll give you two. All right. Uh, So I would really like to go to like the Amazons and catch peacock bass. Yeah. Uh, Stay on one like the big... Yachts and do like the whole thing, you know. Ooh, um, Alaska. Yeah, do yeah. the whole yeah, and catch like a whole bunch of just like jungle river fish. High on Alaska and catching fish. I yeah. would like. No, to I do gotta that. admit that has appealed to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, it's spiritual. Spiritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be one with the fish. The <laughs> other one would be I would like to go to like Ireland. Yeah, or Scotland. Really? And yeah, and uh, and catch fish there. Where the tweeds, the yeah, whole nine dude, yards. I'm yeah. thinking it, I'm a trout bum through and through. Like I would go to just a pretty place where I could drink some scotch, try some whiskey, yeah. you know, have a good time, and uh, and catch some trout. So that's great. That is weirdest thing you ever caught on the fly, and I don't know the story, but you guys all laugh when you talk about. Catch a bat with a sock. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> yeah. but, well, not so, catching one, but no, yeah, no. harassing okay, one. So, okay. So, okay, so I grew up, you know, my dad lived in Ohio yeah. uh, for a good portion of my life. So we would go visit him. And he had this thing where you would you'd put a tennis ball in a sock, like a tube right. sock. You yeah. know, you swing it, swing it, swing it. And then when the bats are flying, you'd throw it up in the air. And for whatever reason, their echolocation, they would pick up on the sock and they would chase it down as no. the sock would fall. Yes, I swear. Oh, to I got to try I this now. So, okay, yeah, that's so, very cool. <laughs> so, 
I'm glad I heard the rest of the story. Yeah, so you have to. So you have to try it. Um, so that has just become a thing. So now, I don't know. My dad showed me that, and I'm like, I've been in awe of it ever since I was a kid. And now every time I see bats or a tube sock, yeah. it brings back good memories. I mean, I have caught a seagull on a fly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But what's the weirdest thing you ever caught on a fly? Wasn't, I mean, I've had, I've had a... a uh, Catfish. <laughs> uh, I've had I've had line in the water uh, in October on the coast uh, in pins and you know there's times out there around that time where you, you there's just you know bait fish everywhere right, right you know the surf comes up and the, the water goes back and there's still thousands and hundreds of thousands of fish that yeah. are trying to yeah I've seen get, that you look. know kick kick back over and you know been in a big fish feed where pelican are diving and I've had pelicans get stuck in the line that you had out and you're just great you know how am i going to do this and you're throwing your hat on their head and trying yeah. to pull <laughs> and and to get get underneath their wing and and doing it that way that's been fun but i don't know past past that nothing i don't want to say nothing nothing really too crazy yeah. i had a shot at a sailfish uh off of port o'connor uh thinking it was a shark um we had driven the boat about 20 miles out and we were coming back and we're looking at we were looking for junk so we could see if we can get into triple tail or anything like that and we were taking a break eating a sandwich and um we see probably about 200 yards out see this kind of fin go out of the water like well man that's cool and our buddies are like hey it's it's kind of getting close as it you know you kind of see it and we're like you want to go after it no i don't want to i don't want to have to deal with like pulling a hook out of a shark's mouth and not being on ground being pulled into the water and we're surrounded by nothing and um, and sure enough, this thing comes right to the boat, and it's like a six foot sailfish. Wow! And here we are scrambling, like literally, like it just kind of came and it peeked at the boat. I mean, we're, we're sitting there, and you see this thing just you know five feet away from the boat, just slowly going, and we're in awe for thirty seconds, and then it's like, oh, should grab the, grab the rod, grab where's the you know where's the rod? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? And you know, yeah. and you know, having having that, um, yeah, that's those are probably the the two just super memorable mm-hmm. fishing opportunities. And yeah. So, uh, I've had swallows pick up flies You have on the Smith. Really? There was like one little spot where they were just like eating bugs. We were throwing flies out and they were, they pick them up, never hooked them and they take off with them and then they drop. Oh, them. that's cool. Ooh. Oh, nice. It was pretty cool. I might have some footage of it. I'd have to go through my Smith river footage. I may have got some of that. Yeah. Um, Weird things. I mean, catching a fish on the fly is not weird. No. But I will say the first time that I caught a Gaspergoo, oh, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I was like, what the <laughs> heck is this? So I had yeah. to like. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. What is a Gaspergoo? A freshwater drum. Oh, right. Yep. I don't know why they have the weird name. Yeah, they call it this is freshwater drum. So they that's how you know what the difference is. Yeah. Where you were at. When I say yeah. Gaspergoo, oh, you're in freshwater. Oh, okay, there you go. You're, <laughs> you're in a river. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, uh, that was cool and unique. And like, I literally had this, like, what the heck did I catch? And then, um, another surprising, uh, fish I've caught is, uh, a grayling. Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. I caught a grayling in a place that there's not supposed to be period. And I caught it, caught it. I pulled, this is a grayling. What the wow. heck? It was really cool. Um, and then I've been corrected one time on fish identification, I caught what I thought was a carp, a very big moment for me because it was supposed to be my quote unquote first carp. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. 
And uh, I posted a picture, and it was a smallmouth buffalo. Oh, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was a thing. That's still pretty cool, though. Yeah. No, and everyone was like, hey, cool. don't want to like ruin your parade, but uh, that's a smallmouth buffalo. And it is more impressive than the day you caught a buffalo than a carp. Not a lot of people caught a buffalo on a fly. Yeah. So. so I caught two of them that day, and I thought I caught my first carp, but uh, it ended up being a smallmouth buffalo. Thanks, social media, for correcting me. There you go. Okay, twice I've done this, and so I'll tell you the story if I have to. Have you ever knowingly trespassed? To go fly. Well, wait, wait, wait. Did we get Zach's? What's what's Zach's? Oh, I want to hear the trespass story. Okay. Well, I thought you were going to call out your t- your craziness. What's your crazy thing? I thought uh, no, I've never really caught anything crazy. Well, you caught that one. Uh, didn't you caught that? Uh, uh, what was it? White bass or or striper? I up? caught a striper. Yeah. Before I knew. Okay. So I wait, wait, I have wait. to admit. I have to admit. So I uh, Creek. I grew up conventional fishing, and I grew up conventional fishing for panfish, and that was about the extent of my fishing knowledge. So I did not know what a Guadalupe bass was. I went and I fished for brook trout on the fly, and that re-sparked my love of fishing and fly fishing. Right. right? This was probably seven years ago. Um, so I fly fished the Smokies. I, everybody knows the story. You know, my first fish on the fly was a brook trout. I came back to Texas and I was like, I loved it. I'm going to get into it here, you know. And I hear everybody talk about the Guadalupe bass. And I was like, oh, cool. Guadalupe bass is different than largemouth bass. And so I went out and within about 10 minutes, I caught a bass. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I did not take a picture because within 10 minutes, like, like I said, I was a newbie to, f- to right. fishing. I thought, oh, within 10 minutes, I caught this bass. I'm going to catch a million bass today. So I'm not going to take this picture. I'm just going to enjoy this fish, you know. And it looked different. It was very long. It had these stripes that went down the side of it. And it was like a more gray silver fish. Re- like, again, really narrow, really long. And I was like, this must be a Guadalupe bass. This is what everybody talks about, right, you know. Right. And, uh, and so I let that fish go. I did not catch another bass that day. I only caught, uh, I think, two more panfish. And this was like the second time I ever fly fished. So I go home. I look up. I was like, oh, here. I was like, Kendall, like, I caught this Guadalupe bass today. Let me show you what I looked at. I look up the Guadalupe bass. I was like, that's not it. That's not what I caught. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I looked up bass uh, in the hill country or whatever. you know. And uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, it was a striper. And I was like, there's no way. you know. And you're sure it wasn't my bass. I am 100% sure. It is either a striper or a chance it's a hybrid. hybrid. I know yeah. for sure it was not a white bass. It did not have the body structure of a white bass. I know for sure. But it, I will give you it could have been a hybrid bass if it was more of a narrow hybrid bass. Either way, really cool fish. I really, re- like it is the, if there is one fish I regret not taking a picture of, it is that one. It's funny. Because I need to prove to people. <laughs> Yeah, that the first bass I caught on the fly was, was a, striper. a striper, but nobody believes me, so, <laughs> and I don't, I don't doubt them because I wouldn't believe me either. But it is true, and I wish people believed me. <laughs> Have you ever? Okay, I'll tell you my two. One time, um, Grand Slam, I caught a cutthroat. Uh-huh. I caught a rainbow. I caught a brown. I go, well, dang, I gotta catch me a brookie. Mm-hmm. And so we go to this spot in Utah, and I saw the fence. It's one of those triangular kind, you know what I'm talking about, where it's kind of just wood, but it's in a, But I knew it was a fence. Went over it, went into the water, on my hands and knees, bow and arrow cast, let it go, caught a brookie. Yeah. But I knowingly trespassed. The second time, the smith. Interestingly, and I can show you after the podcast, I do have a bucket list in writing. On there is the smith. 
always wanted to fish that. When you had asked to be added to the, the list. list. Yeah, especially yeah. if somebody else cancels, I'm yeah. in. And so I knew there was a spot where the road crosses it. And the argument I kept making to myself was, well, if I stay on the bridge and just lower myself off the bridge, I haven't violated because in the water, you're not trespassing if your feet are wet. But when I went back to my car, there was a note on my car saying, UMF. I know you've been trespassing. I've got your license plate number. Don't you ever do this again? And I thought, hey, it's a company car. Who's going to care? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. But that was the second time. Have any of you ever knowingly trespassed in order to go catch fish? Ooh, nodding yes. Ooh, story, story. I don't know the story. I, just feel like, <laughs> I mean, like, I've definitely cut through property yeah. once or twice to get to a river. Yeah, and that was it, Bobby. I just got access to it, but then once on the water, you're okay, but you had to trespass yeah, to get to the water. Yeah, not for very long. Very knowingly, there's times as a kid where I cut through property to... I'm trying to think as, like, an adult, though, of, like, a time I intentionally... If I ran, I feel like it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's like you don't get wet you run in the rain? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. okay. Uh, I, but you know what? I did take out one time when I was uh, on a kayak with Kendall... Um, we were fl- we were doing a float, and just like every float ever, it went about three hours too long, yeah. you know. And we weren't even like we still had like two river miles to go, and there was a chance that we could take out and get to the road that we could walk about half a mile and get back to our car. And Kendall was just like done, you know, like it had already been a longer trip than she had expected. It was our first time in the kayak, and we had a couple incidents that were just tough, you know. And um, she was like. We're taking out here. And I was like, this is like a landowner. I was like, he could shoot us if we get out here. She's like, I don't care. We're done. And I was like, all right, I feel like we're it's, done. I feel <laughs> like it's, it's a lot harder for, for someone to shoot at a, at a woman out there. Honestly, so I think you were lucky. If I go, fi- oh, to answer your question, I will go fish a neighborhood pond. Yeah. That technically is yeah. trespassing. However, when I do, I bring my wife. Because people typically won't get mad at you if you have your wife yeah. with you. Especially if she's just yeah. sitting there reading well, the golf book course and, ponds. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm trespassing, but everyone, eh. Yeah, you yeah. know. But again, bring your wife. If she's fly fishing too. Actually, it's cool. yeah, I have it's cute. It's cute ponds. then, you yeah. know, we're a couple that's fishing together. It's exciting. If I bring my dog, does that work just as well? Or no? <laughs> the wife's better. Yeah. Wife's better. Wife's better. Wife's better. Wife's okay. Better. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like Sam... Uh, who uh, who fly fish the Japanese tea, <laughs> the tea garden? I've heard that story. <laughs> yeah, on this podcast. Yeah, probably. yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. a great Not, nothing, episode. Yeah, I had nothing really too crazy. I mean, there's been one or two times where, like, yeah, I had to walk out on someone's property all just to get around to some heavy trees that were on the water, and that was yeah. a deep spot. But nothing, nothing crazy. Nothing that I thought I would have been shot at. Did we have before. to take out that one when me, you, and Ian went? We had to take out and walk on a private property at one point, didn't we? Was it when we got in really late after dark? Yes. That was not private property. No, no, no. Well, not when we took out. When we actually had to go over like the, the waterfall that we didn't want to go we over. We did have to go around uh, on private property, but um, I don't feel like that was trespassing because um, if there is an obstruction in the river, you can use uh, property to mm-hmm. move around oh, okay. it. So, so we moved around it to get back on the river and we're not on private property longer than we needed to be. Gotcha. Cool. Yep. Who's that hill country fly fisher McCutcheon? No. Oh, uh, Kevin. Kevin. Hutchinson. Yeah. Hutchinson. Yep. He talks about that. I want to say over 30 times he's been accused and he's gone to court every single time or whatever and proved, no, I didn't. 
So there are, again, a lot of people want to say you're trespassing, but back to my point was if your feet are wet, you're not trespassing. Yeah, yeah. and there's so, a lot of people who argue, you know, against you that you're wrong, but just know you're And that's why Kevin makes that point, and yeah. he did it at a Trout Fest meeting that I went to in one of his talks. He goes, because I asked him, I go, what is the law? Please explain it to me, and that's what he told me was, yeah, high water, navigable, the whole routine. Yeah, but typically your feet are wet, you're good. Yeah, exactly, and that's true in a lot of states, but not all. Mon- I mean, in Montana was... But Colorado, it's not. Hey, Jim, no, let's... Oh, go ahead, Zach. I'm sorry. No, I was like, Colorado is the halfway point. Halfway point. Now that if you own the land on the river right and I own land on the river left, it goes to the middle of the river, yeah. and that's our property. They can float over it, but, you can't but they can't the anchor, bed. and they yeah. certainly can't walk on it. Yeah. 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 Let's end on your trip with Tom ba- Great. Rosenbauer. Thank you. That I want everyone here to know that I fished with Tom Rosenbauer, and really great guy, that... One of the points I've made, and to the three gentlemen here, my father knew some very famous people, movie stars, and what you find is fame goes to people's heads. And I know some famous fly fishing authors where I've heard about them, and they're kind of jerks. Not Tom. The man you guys see on the videos, the man you've heard on podcast or his fly fishing show is the same guy I met. And how do I know? I spent a week with him that I went up to a place called Three Rivers Ranch, which is in the smallest town in Idaho, population three, (laughs) Warm River, Idaho, and stayed at Three Rivers Ranch and a beautiful place set up by Orvis Fly Fishing. And obviously Tom goes up there every year. It's the very first place to get the Orvis endorsement as any lodge. And he's gone up there ever since. And he goes up there once a year and does these trips, and so I joined him, and as the two of you know, I invited you, uh, two of you, you know, I don't have your home email address, so you have to get that after this podcast, but uh, expensive as hell, glad I went. Here's a story I would tell you, is the guy that I was talking about is that guy. I met him at breakfast and dinner every night. I sat in the boat with him for a full day, fishing with him. He makes a point of fishing with a different person every day so that everyone gets to experience it couple things that are just super cool about it one when you float by somebody else they go hey aren't you tom rosenbauer i go yeah he's in my boat back off sucker you know and then even one time he was helping out was one guy turned his boat around he goes aren't you tom and he looks at him and goes tom who <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even knew his name the other thing i would tell you that was just very cool about him uh we we're on the teton river and we picked up, and one thing I learned about by reading Tom's essays in a book called Trout, which is a picture book, tabletop picture book, and that is, and he said it on your podcast, he doesn't even like stopping for lunch. Tom wants to fish when the sun goes up, stop after the sun goes down. Just not stop, nonstop fishing, that's Tom. So we pick up after the day of fishing, he convinces the guy to go to another spot, we go to another spot, and I knew why. We get there, and I'm looking at him, and it, and so again, don't mean to be that stupid guy, but remember I said 15 and 20 days a year, I'm on the water. I go, those are uh, blooming olives. And he goes, no, Jim, those are spinners. And then he described about 10 minutes, what is a spinner, and how it works, and how it hops up and down, and bobs, and lays the eggs. A story in entomology that made perfectly good sense to me. But I had told him that day, as I tell every new guide, well, here's the deal, Gabe. I am fished all over the world. 
I've been in the most famous places in the world, but I only fish 15 to 20 days a year on the water. So I'm not that good. And I told Tom the same thing. So we're now fishing on this very slow moving river, the Teton river in a very slow moving spot, casting a size 20 fly about 40 to 50 feet out with a reach cast. And he goes, Jim, I hear what you're saying about not being very good. And yet you've caught three fish on the most technical of technical water. I got to tell you, when you hear something like that from one of the most famous people in the world in fly fishing, wow, that really, really pumped me up. It really did. It suddenly made me realize, wow, I've made it for that guy to say that about me. It was really nice. And it was a fantastic trip. We fished the Henry's Fork. We fished the Teton River. I fished the South Fork. And the one thing I've got to do is before I finish this podcast and let you all know, so day two, he goes, well, look, one person has to fish by themselves. And I, Tom, I'll go by myself. So he goes, okay, you're going to have so-and-so, a guy that people said, uh, he could be a little pushy at times. And I go, I'm good with pushy. And that's what I did. When I got with the guide, I said, look, Eric, there's something you need to know about me. Same story, 15, 20 days a year. I'm not that good, so I'm perfectly okay with instruction. Don't hesitate to tell me instruction. And so he did all the way through. And, it, and I got to admit, by the afternoon, it got a little out of hand, but I just went rolled with it. Back to my point about you about being stoic. It's just him being him. This is how he is. I can live with it. It was epic. You know how you hear people say about 100 fish days? I always love that story. You and I have talked about a land, and I go, you realize how many fish that means every minute that you're catching if you said you got 100 fish in an eight-hour, nine-hour day. I had one of those days. And what it was was pocket water on the most famous of all water, the Henry's Fork, just below the ranch, the best way to describe it, which is that slow water you always see in the Henry's Fork. We were about two miles downriver from that, floating down to the falls, and we obviously have to pull out before you go over the falls. And it's pocket water. And the guy, Eric, is doing his best to row around all the rocks, protruding the water seam. But at the same time, I just hit pocket after pocket after pocket after pocket. And even the other boat that was behind us said, every time I saw you, you had a fish on. I go, I'm telling you, that's what the case. Now, admittedly, vast majority, 8 to 10 inches, not big ones. His term was dinks. But I caught a 17-inch and I caught a 19-inch trout. But it was just epic i don't know how to describe it other than that and that's back to my point all due respect to my good friends at trout unlimited sometimes it does have something to do with the fish you catch and no that's one of the questions i want to ask all of you do you count the fish you catch i didn't have a counter with me i didn't go through trying to keep track of all this but one thing i knew is that the only time it ever did happen is i saw the guide grab his wrist and look at his watch and we start in this one spot and he starts rowing backwards while he's sitting in this one spot keeps rowing backwards and then he finally said do you realize in seven minutes you just caught ten fish seven minutes ten fish I mean it was just a remarkable day and at that point we all talk about why are certain waters called legendary because you remember them the rest of your life I will never forget that day on the basically the Henry's Fork, famous water. And that was what life is like fishing with Tom Rosenbauer. Great guy, great water, 
great camp. The only downside is, and as the two of you know, outrageously expensive. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> but it's for, for a reason. And, it, and that's what the point is. And, and that's why I had to ask you that question about cancer. And that is, look, I get that. And there is, there's this, this midway point somewhere between, you know, I really can't afford it. And that is, life's too short. You know, I, I, I know what people are saying no, is, it's, it's they a, see that kind of stuff. It, it's more than the cost of that trip. It's the other couple of hundred dollars I got to spend for nicer dinners with the wife yeah, <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to get and, and a nice gift. And man, Christmas is going to cost me money this year. Well, as, as Landon knows, gotta, the reason I didn't go to real recovery, I had to take my wife up to Branson. Yeah. And, uh, hey, don't get me wrong. Branson was a fun place. It's basically a PG version of Vegas. Yeah, yeah. But no, that was the deal was, you can let me go to Idaho, gotta, I'll take you up to Branson, yeah. and we'll go watch some country band that I could care less about, but we had a great <laughs> yeah. time. Well, then we this, really did. The, the only way I got to Amen, go to... Amen, Jim. <laughs> yeah, that's like the only way we, I got to go to... Not that I got to go, but uh, when we planned the trip to go down to the coast to talk to, to Fowler. Wedding anniversary weekend. Yep. You know, so they were there, and I was like, "Hey, uh, hey, wife, uh, you wanna you wanna go to the be- you wanna go to the beach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. But, okay, uh, but, but but Saturday I gotta leave for a little bit. Of a <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. when this podcast is gonna come out, but it's gonna probably be Halloween time. So Zach, can I ask for the strange story? Yeah. Also, oh. before you play that, I realized that we missed out on a golden opportunity to play a button that I've been itching for us to play on the podcast, and it's on page two. And I think we should just play it because we missed our opportunity and we should play it. <laughs> okay. Bobby, why don't you go look in the adventure section? Anything about a boy with gumption should be fine. <laughs> I, I thought if we ever did a book review, that that sound clip would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, from we'll classic books. Talk when about books. you someday read Thomas McGrain's yeah. book. Yeah. Do that we'll again. No, tell, yeah. tell Carson just to cut it. Cut yeah. it into that spot. There you yeah. Go. yeah. <laughs> All right. Strange yes. story. Jim, honor's mine. Yes, gentlemen. I went to the mysterious, and you all heard of it, Pyramid Lake. North of Reno, I'm fishing on the Paiute Reservation. And one of the things I kept asking about was, what is this story about water babies? And the guide tells me, well, you know, I can hear them in March, you know, when the wind blows. And I go, what's that story? Nevada's picturesque Pyramid Lake, I'm reading this. Anglers and photographers from around the world. Also, the lake has a dark side. The legend is the malevolent water babies lurk in the depth, eager to drag visitors to a watery it makes sense why people fish on ladders there you go now we know i get it on pyramid lake (laughs) they're on ladders pyramid lake is they can't be pulled into the water it's one hundred and twenty-five thousand acres and pyramid lake is very scenic apple actually featured it on one of their home screens the fishermen come for the rare lahothan cutthroat trout and i caught them too gentlemen huge trout cutthroat trout but there's something bad about that lake, one local official said in a story about Pyramid Lake. People die out there every year, and they never find the bodies. Some locals believe water babies are to blame. According to local legend, the Paiute Indians 
once drowned their critically ill and deformed infants in Pyramid Lake to conserve resources and purify the tribe's bloodline. Now, these drowned infants terrify guests with their ghostly wails. Known as water babies, the young spirits are most active around sunrise and sunset and are fond of drowning swimmers, capsized boats, and dragging fishermen deep into the lake. I've never seen an actual water baby, a local guide told Winner of Grand River, but I have seen a number of inexplicable things on the sonar. Images appear out of nowhere on the screen and then suddenly disappear. The guide even told me stories about dead bodies missing in Pyramid Lake and then showing up in Reno, I mean, in the uh, uh, Lake Tahoe upriver. Uh, just weird kind of stories. It was just one of those kind of funny stories, and that is part of the mystique around Pyramid Lake and this being the Halloween season. I had to share one story before we conclude this fantastic podcast. And to the three of you, I know you do this every week. It's an old deal for you. For me, it's a very special thing. So thank you for the invitation to come back. And my only hope is you'll invite me one more time. Absolutely, Jim. Absolutely, Jim. It, thanks is, for, it is a pleasure. Thanks for making the drive. Thank you. Oh, yeah. All right. All right, boys. Okay, that is. Hey, uh, before we go, Jim, uh, since you're live in person, would you like to talk about the coffee you enjoy? I do. Ladies and gentlemen listening to this podcast, mostly gentlemen in Texas, I just want to <laughs> remind you... <laughs> That there is a fine non-sponsor that should be a sponsor of this program. Wild Rivers Coffee Company. What I'm referring to is fine coffee made in the gateway to the hill country in Texas. So, if you want fresh coffee, coffee that was just roasted before it showed up at your doorstep, go to Wild Rivers Coffee Co. Not company, Wild Rivers Coffee Co. And before you check out, Type in the words, honey hole. Not two words, one word. I learned that one the last time I bought from them. (laughs) H-O-N-E-Y, H-O-L-E, no space. And you'll get a 15% discount. They have four different coffees. They contribute to conservation organizations that protect the water and the resources that we all love when we go hunting or fishing. So, Wild Rivers Coffee Co. And type in the secret word, honey hole to get a 15% discount on some fine, fresh coffee. I think Trump Jr. is going to buy some. I like the trout. No, I like the bear. I like the bear. The bear. Dude, he's the trout. I like the bear. That's right. You like the trout. I like the bear. <laughs> Which one's your favorite? Actually, trout. Yeah. yeah. It, it's basically their, their, their name brand. It's a lower price, about a buck less per bag. And it supports Trout Unlimited. And so I always consider myself, hey, I'm giving another dollar to TU while at the same time getting great coffee. And so I love it. And I've been a long-time subscriber, but still, when I go back in and buy a single bag, or like I told you, when I visited my son, the Florida man, that I bought a whole quantity of four different bags, all their different kinds of coffee, and I typed in the word honey hole, and there it was, the discount. So it's well worth it. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Thank you. Look in the description below to find links to our website, online store, YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Discord server, and blog. Please send your podcast questions and inquiries to info at honeyholeangling.com. 
Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you again next week.